Um, I don't know how you say that in Polish, so sorry if that's wrong. Um, Would it be so bad if an 84-year-old got into heroin? Welcome to the Cat Organizational Podcast. You idiot. It's written down in front of you, you idiot. This is like the buffalo chicken rap of answers. I haven't heard about hot orcs in a while. We were so horny for motion controls in 2005. I can't wait to come back and tell you how it was Noah's Ark, you asshole. I would also like to retroactively say I've never had cotton candy acid. So Andrew's 100% doing a voice, right? Everybody get off IMDb now. Time to record. This episode and probably this whole this whole podcast is a mistake. Hello and welcome to another episode of Debate This, the show where no one is right but someone is definitely wrong. In this podcast, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comics, video games, and how much like Old Town Road before it, it is impossible to find a remix of Toss of Coin to Your Witcher that does not cluck. How long into this episode do we go before we all start singing Toss of Coin to Your Witcher? Because that song is the best song. Well, if Kyle did it right, this was that was the intro to this episode. Yeah, it's trailing off right now. Yeah. Good. Um, it's so fucking good. I love it. I love everything about the Netflix show. Now there's expectations for Kyle to get that right, because if not, oof. even Kyle told himself to do it right. Yep. If if you if you're not hearing it now, then everybody listening needs to go on YouTube and find and just search for Toss a Coin Remix, and it'll do just the same trick. All right. So speaking of the Netflix show, have you all seen the Netflix show? Hell fucking yeah, man! I love it. I'm so hooked. That's right. I injected it straight into my eyes. I have I have one episode left because I'm a scrub. Oh. Well, I'm gonna spoil that for you. That's fine. Um, it's so good. It's so good, you guys. Uh, when we when we this was first announced a couple years ago, I think the entire community was kind of on pins and needles and like, will it will it be? Oh, and it be it be it be it it do be. It was right as it was right as Game of Thrones was getting bad. And, yeah, yeah, and everyone was like that. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, and it was like, oh, is this just going to be a Game of Thrones clone? And then they announced that Henry Cavill was going to be <laughs> Geralt, and in 2020, Henry Cavill is our new God King. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is the hero that that show needed. Yeah, Henry Cavill is to 2020 as Keanu Reeves was to 2019. Yeah, and well, yeah. it might be again when Cyberpunk comes out, but we'll see. Yeah. True. <laughs> So for those of you who haven't seen the show out there, uh, back in December, we were all graced with uh, the most recent work performed by, of course, our new God King, Henry Cavill. And that's The Witcher. The Witcher is available on Netflix ex- exclusively. All eight episodes of season one are available to stream. Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> unless Netflix wants it to be an ad. Uh, unless, in which unless, case, Netflix. Unless you want it to be an ad. If Netflix wants to give us money, we will take we will take out that hot that hashtag. Yes. Um, the Witcher quickly became the biggest hit of the season, uh, surpassing even Baby Yoda himself uh, and becoming the second most viewed show. I thought this was cool. The second most viewed show in 2019 in Netflix, despite the fact that it only had about two weeks to make that <laughs> to get that data collected. <laughs> that yeah. is wild. That's yeah. so insane. It's impressive. What is that saying about Netflix. Mm. Yeah, well, 2019, the year that Stranger Things season three came out. Right, which was the only thing, which was number one. Yeah. yeah. It passed Stranger Things shortly after 2020 started. Like, it, yeah. The headline came out quit pretty quickly, like, now biggest show. Now, with a hit TV series under its belt, uh, they already started, either started filming season two or they just announced when they're going to start filming it. Um, I mean, it's definitely like it's definitely going to happen. Yeah, they just posted a video or Henry Cavill posted a video 
on the Witcher's Twitter account that they were that about to start filming season two. So I wouldn't be surprised if by the yeah. time this episode comes out, they have started filming. So I, I think it's I don't think it's that bold to say the Witcher franchise is the first franchise to have so successfully penetrated all of books, TV, and video games. And when you think about it, plenty of series have tried, but I mean, not even Star Wars can say that they have successful entries in all three of those mediums. You're trying to start a, start a fight with some Star Wars fans. I mean, go ahead and at me, Star Wars fans. Like, what do you, what do you got? Shadows of the Empire? Battle, I don't know. Episode, episode one pod racer kind of fucks. I mean, KOTOR's good, but KOTOR is not... Like, KOTOR's extended canon... And was made by a third party. I don't know. I don't really count code. That that exists in its own vacuum. It is kind of its own pocket dimension. Anyway, so to commemorate the success of Netflix show, I decided that it was time to be that insufferable friend who leans over to you in the movie theater and whispers how this is so different from what happens in the books. (laughs) Because I'm the guy who read the books. I read the books. And there's a lot of stuff in the Netflix show that doesn't happen in the books and does happen. Then uh, happens differently in the books. So I'm going to tell you about it. Everybody has one. Everybody has that friend. (laughs) And all of our friend is Andrew. That's right. But just like our hero, Geralt of Rivia, everyone needs some good traveling companions. So I've enlisted Matt, the Butcher of Blaviken, Cole, Todd, 14th of the Hill, Thomas, and Kyle, the White Flame, dancing on the barrows of his enemies, Harper, to come with me on this wonderful and pedantic journey. I don't know what that means, but I'm all about it. That was Kyle's party name in college <laughs> <laughs> yes. so so boys drink your potions and sharpen your silver swords because it's time to delve into the world of the witcher i also don't know for the record what 14th of the hill is okay so know. those are those are aliases used in yeah. uh different characters so butcher blavkin does everybody knows what that one is right yeah i got the one we all know <laughs> Yeah. So that, we we get to hear all about that. Watch it. That was the gimme. Fourteenth uh, of the hill refers to Triss Marigold. Nice. Mm. Hell yeah, Triss. Cool. Yeah, because I know Todd is hashtag Team Triss, which I'm, we'll tell you about why you're wrong. That's <laughs> this is not up for debate. I mean, I chose Yennefer in the game. I just think Triss is metal in the game. She has her fingernails ripped off. She does. She does kick ass in the game. She has yeah. a really. She gets some really good play, uh, parts in in the game and in the earlier games too. And then this one is a little bit of a pool, but uh, I think this is my favorite. There, everybody has like weird aliases, kind of like Lord, uh, kind of like Game of Thrones. Like first of his name, Mother of Dragons. Like everyone has, you know, real has like eight Renaissance names. era names like this. But this is the best one. The White Flame dancing on the barrows of his enemies is uh, one of the names for Emperor Emir von Var Emrys of uh, of the Nilfgaard Empire. Oh, okay. Um. I don't know who that is. Well, he's a very important character. And we're going to learn about him very, very soon. I can't oh, wait. Like I was saying before this recording, um, for those of you that were like me and joined in on Witcher 3, you just got like elevator pitches of all the characters you didn't know that were super, super important. So I would still be going to the end of the game. I'm like, Nilfgaard, who? who? Okay, that's fine. Like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so before we get into the actual series, I think it's good just to be super clear on what the series actually is. So what all we're going to talk about. So overall, when you talk about The Witcher, it constitutes a total of eight books and then three full-length games that came after. So let's put a pin in the games for now. So just for the books, the way that these books were written is, it's kind of interesting. This is, I don't know of anything else that does this, but there is a, a very solid 
beginning to end story arc. But that story arc, that that novel series, is actually pre- preceded by a series of short stories and anthologies. And these are all based on the original short story just called The Witcher. So it's interesting, and we'll, we'll get into it when we get into the individual stories, but you know, a lot of the things in the individual anthologies, the short stories, were kind of created before the overall narrative and uh, you know, don't really are, are either not relevant to or almost antithetical <laughs> or contradict some of the things that happen in this series. So the, the task that the Netflix show took was interesting because it's basically the Netflix show, season one of the Netflix show is essentially retelling two of the three anthology books, which are The Last Witch and Sword of Destiny. And they're kind of taking all of the relevant stories from both of those, those anthologies and mishmashing them together to fit a more linear narrative to lead to the novel, the series itself. So the, the Netflix show is all stuff that is like part of that less than canon prequel to the novel series. Yes, more or less. Yes. And it's making it all it's making it canon, cohesive. basically. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's funny because those anthologies, while a lot of them are disconnected stories, it, it almost feels more to the overall narrative of the Witcher and in the vibe of the Witcher because the Witcher is a bounty hunter and inherently is episodic, episodic, right? It's like Geralt enters a town, looks for a monster and, and has misadventures. And that, and the, the narrative style of the games. And, and this is why like the game, like making a, an RPG from this series works so well because it is by definition episodic and you can have these very flushed out isolated stories in the form of like a mission, right? Like you can go to a town and find a bounty and go hunt a monster and deal with all the craziness of the town and leave and never come back. And that's its own isolated story. And that's why this, this is such an interesting franchise to kind of like take on this new shape. Um, So I mentioned the games. We're not going to talk about the games today. Um, That's probably going to be part two or maybe even part three. (laughs) Um, depending on how long this goes just know that the the games are super interesting in in of themselves um so the the witcher series was originally uh polish it was published in poland and it was published only in polish for for many years and cd project red uh was is a polish developer who created who adapted the witcher series into a video game and at the time cd project red uh, had had I imagine had always planned to make an English version, but um, most of the Witcher books were written, but they were only in Polish, and mo- many of them weren't translated. So when CG Product Project Red went to make the first Witcher RPG, they had a lot of the source material, but but knew that most of it w- wouldn't be available to English audiences. So they crafted this this story that's basically separate from, but based on the Witcher series. So actually, so Witcher one, the game takes place several years after any of the books. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. And then yeah. do two and three pick up where one leaves off. They do. So the timeline okay. of the books is, is always at the end. That's, that's your return or uh, 
The Last Jedi, <laughs> Rise okay. of Star, Star Skywalker. <laughs> That's your seven, eight, and nine. Um, what's interesting about those is again, The Witcher. When The Witcher came out, most people in America had only maybe only heard of the first book. So the the hand wavy thing that they did in the game was, oh, uh, Geralt loses his memory and doesn't remember anything. <laughs> yep. So it gave them the ability to to use this universe, and and it was kind of they didn't have to introduce anything because you have Geralt, an unreliable narrator. Everybody knows who Geralt is, right? So like Geralt's not meeting anybody, but he just doesn't remember anybody. So he's just like, oh hey. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> it's very good. Everyone gets to reintroduce themselves. Exactly. So it was a it was like a kind of a shoddy excuse to uh, introduce all these new characters. But it was also kind of worked as a remix. And and the biggest thing to come out of this is Triss Marigold. Um, Triss Marigold was written into the first game because at the time the first novel, Blood of Elves, had come out. And Triss is a, has a pretty big part in the Blood of Elves. But Triss is a fairly minor character to the whole franchise. But um, Triss was written in the game, um, and because of that, she kind of became this weird kind of side sidelined main character when she only appears two or three times in the actual series. So there's kind of things like that where the game took on more or less new life. And by the end of game two, um, most of the series had come out. So at the end of the second game, Assassins of Kings, Geralt recovers his memory and everything is fine. So then by the beginning of the third game, which came out six, five or six months after uh, Lady of the Lake, which is the final book in the series, then they're like, cool, Geralt remembers everything. We're going <laughs> to actually pick up this story where the book, where book five left off. So the Wild Hunt is kind of posed in Witcher 3 to be this big bad but they're only a big bad as noted in the end of book five. So hmm. we'll, we'll do another piece about the games. I think the games are super interesting. And, and if you haven't, you know, anyone who hasn't played them, I highly, highly recommend playing the Witcher three. That's, I know that's an incredibly hot take. Um, the Witcher three in itself is an incredibly cohesive experience. You, you can, you can play the game without having played one and two. I don't think one and two hold up very well. Gameplay wise. They're good. They're fun stories, but they look terrible. <laughs> Witcher 1 looks like ass. Witcher 1 looks like actual ass. And Witcher 2 plays like ass. And I would say, as someone that didn't play 1 or 2 and didn't read any of the books, um, you can at least get a pretty good uh, overview through a, either listening to our podcast or yeah. listening to our podcast and then watching a YouTube recap because I'm sure yep. there's a good one out there. Exactly. When did the first Witcher game come out? Well, probably 10, 12 years ago. Okay. I think 2008. So like yeah. PS2 era? Uh, when did the first book come out? Yeah. Ooh, you're hitting me on uh, dates here. Let me. I can do a couple. Of Google it. So, Witcher, Witcher, the game was 2007. Okay. So PS3. Yeah. So like, let's see. Squarely end of PS2, PS3. Witcher books were 90s, but they weren't translated um, until the mid to late 2000s. So, so for example, Lady of the Lake was his only lady of lake is the end of the series and lady of lake is has was only translated like again like four years ago and i'm sorry what language were they in polish polish okay yeah hmm. so today we're going to focus mostly on the books namely the first two anthologies which season one covers and then we'll start getting into the the book or the series of five novels which is considered to be like you can call we'll call that like the Geralt and Ciri saga basically so there's one other book that I, I mentioned so I mentioned eight there's eight books 
counting with my fingers, eight books. There's a the the last and final book is called Season of Storms. Now we're not going to talk about Seasons of Storms today. And the reason being, it's absolute filler. It's it's basically like if this were an anime, it's the OVA that came that comes out that nobody watches. Is it the like the the Cimmerillion? Of- yes. It is the Cimmerillion. That would have been a way better comparison that people would understand. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is that? Nerd. Um, Lord of the R- it's Lord of the Rings. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien's son collected kind of all his notes. Oh, okay. And tried to make it into a book, but it's it's a anthology slash Bible in the world. It's it's weird. It's only only people who are way too into Lord of the Rings. Enjoy it's the, it. it. It's the Dead yeah. Sea Scrolls. Got it. It's, it's yeah. the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's a good, yep. that's yeah. a good way. It... <laughs> that's very good. All right, so let's start with some generalities. I want to talk a little bit about the background of this world and then kind of all the different factions who are at play, some of the major characters, and then we'll get into the individual stories and how those map onto the, uh, the episodes of the Netflix show. Okay, three rules to remember as we go through all this. Rule number one, probably the most, the most like, most easily like high level description of, of the, the, the vibe of the Witcher is there are no gods and no heroes in this world. This world is very gray and no one is truly good or evil. I like to think of the Witcher and, and the reason why I resonated with it so much is it's kind of a cynical take on Lord of the Rings. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's no, it's no, it's not, it's not by chance that Kyle compared the Similarian to, cause there's a lot of comparisons here to Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, right off the bat, uh, the original author, um, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's uh, Andrzej, Andrzej, Andrzej uh, Sapkowski. Um, I don't know how you say that in Polish, so sorry if that's wrong. Um, he, he wrote these, all of, again, he wrote these original stories as very cynical takes on ideas like, you know, tropes in modern fantasy, right? So The Witcher, as the easily descriptive, it, it's, it's, low fantasy but also kind of dark and cynical fantasy Hmm. um by that i mean like everyone's an asshole everyone kind of (laughs) sucks you know there are there are no real heroes and villains everyone is out for their own purpose and we don't and and by that by that extension we kind of see this world through the eyes of Geralt, who is our primary uh, protagonist and Geralt has a very particular view of the world which spins Here's narration and therefore our view of it. So it's kind of like unreliable narrator a little bit, which is which is an interesting motif. Rule number two, Siri. Siri is the key to ultimate power and salvation and or salvation. Everybody wants a piece. And then three. Yep, it's weird. Well, it, 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 yeah. it, now it's not weird <laughs> yeah. because it gets it gets super gross. Is, yeah. is she the same like age in the books as in the series? Nope. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the... I'm the I've only watched the series guy, so I'll I'll be those clarifying questions for the next eighteen. Oh, I'm hours sorry. Of when you said when you she is the same she is the same age in the series. So that's why she starts. I thought you meant meant, meant the games because she's an adult in the third game. Oh, yes. gotcha. No, no. Um, yep. in the books. Yeah, and I yes, would say and, and in in the third game, everyone gets sexy. No one isn't getting sexy in the th- in the third game. Noted. Gross. Um, and that that takes us to rule number three. All mages are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust mages. All mages are assholes. Actually, all mages are horny assholes. All mages are just thirsty. Got That's it. Fair. I, yeah. I have a clarifying question for your first rule. You said there are no gods and no heroes. Are there really no? 
are there no gods in this world or was that just an yeah, expression correct. you used no th- there are that's, no that's legit yeah there are so, no deities in this world there are okay. no deities there's there's no god of the whatever um there are people that there are there are deities that people pray to but it's not like D where they're they're actual tangible spirits it's gotcha. just yeah it, it's it's as realistic of a world that can also have fantasy and dwarves and elves in sure, it. sure sure sure, it. sure yeah okay so let's talk about the 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 kind of the creation myth that created this world uh, before humanity, there were only the elves. So again, in this world, we've it, this is a world where elves and dwarves live among humans, among gnomes, and other fantastical creatures. But before humanity, we have the elves. The elves were the first people of this world. They tamed the lands. They built great cities. You know, the etc. Your your general like first peoples peoples stories. These are very much Lord of the Rings style, pointy ears, um, tall, long lifespans. Very, very uh, pompous, very, you know, very, very slow to act, things like that. Uh, but specifically, no affinity to magic. So there's, there's no magic in this world. Um, and then we have the conjunction of the spheres. The conjunction of the spheres was a global cataclysm that essentially merged uh, a number of worlds together, bringing in humans and dwarves and gnomes, but also monsters and other creatures and intelligent and unintelligent creatures alike it's basically your hand wavy explanation why this is a dnd world got it interesting that's neat i did not know that yeah um the the other thing about the conjunction was it birthed chaos energy and as metal as that sounds chaos energy <laughs> is basically from what derives all of the fantastical properties in this world so monsters are possible because of chaos magic is possible because of chaos people that wield magic now humans were able to rise up because they were able to harness this chaos into magic so like you get the seven emeralds and then your hair turns yellow and you can fly chaos more like you can collect the uh the the uh the the life the life juice of everyone around you and haul a giant spirit bomb got it okay so <laughs> more dragon ball z less sonic yeah yeah so Enter humans. So humans do as they do in every fantastical piece of fiction, which Ruin is it. wipe every <laughs> <laughs> shit on everything. And uh, humans conquered the elves, uh, nearly create, making them extinct. And humanity then built their castles and cities on top of the ruins of the conquered elvish people. That tracks. Sounds like yeah. us. Couldn't yep. have just like been diplomatic and been like, "Hey, we're gonna stay over here. It's cool. Yeah. Know, maybe we'll maybe we'll trade you some of our." Like tea leaves and mayo. <laughs> That's not human nature, Todd. We uh we we did what we do best. Ugh. So I'm gonna there are I would say there are four primary main characters here that that are inter- integral to the entire story. There are a lot of characters, obviously there are a ton of characters that are in and out, but there are four characters that really, really matter from whose we get some level of perspective. And of course, the most important, we've got Geralt of Rivia. The White Wolf. The White Wolf, the Butcher of Blaviken, uh, Gwynebled, which is uh, the mm. elvish tongue for White Wolf. Um, and he's got about 17 other aliases. Mm-hmm. Geralt of Rivia is a witcher and the titular witcher, witcher of this series. <laughs> the titular, <laughs> the titular witcher. witcher. The titular witcher. The which witcher. Is gonna be the, 
which is going to be the title of this episode. That is the word titular used in two debate this episodes in a row, if anybody's keeping track. That's, that is that is an ad for the word titular. <laughs> toss, toss a coin to your titular, what you like. There it is. Oh, damn it. <laughs> All right. That's, that's enough of that. It's dead. So most of, most of these stories, especially the first two books, are told from Geralt's perspective. And, and it's, that's important to remember because when we go through, again, in, in, incredibly important, these anthologies, we only know what Geralt knows. We, know, you know, we don't know anything else. So it, this is not told from a third-person narrative. This is, Geralt did this, Geralt knows this, Geralt heard about this. Is it written in first person or third person? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mostly, mostly third person, but the the way stories are told very much is very sporadic like sure. every book every book has a new kind of different way to recount the a tale um because another another element here is the fact that you know this is like before recorded history so there aren't records so we find you know we're getting fragmented information found in the archives or like this song from a bard you know we'll, we'll get there so yeah. it's, it's kind of it's neat how they do it but it's also very confusing when you're reading it <laughs> got it because nothing can be easy no nothing can be easy Geralt Geralt is a witcher which is a traveling monster hunter Geralt goes from town to town killing monsters for money he will and and that's that's his profession because of the conjunction of spheres there are monsters because of magic and because of you know the way that this world works, he has the powers and ability to fight those monsters, and he does so as a living. But Geralt, as a Witcher, is an enhanced human. You know, he's he is essentially a mutant, and you can and the show does a really good job of flagging that literally like ten seconds in because he drinks a potion and his eyes turn all black and his skin goes absolutely pale white. It's so good. Um, it's, it's very. It's very. Good. The the it's, animation it's for good. him like. The results of him consuming deductions—that's uh, what they're called, right? Um, I don't know. Just say <laughs> potions. I, I, I think at least yeah, the third nerd. one calls them deductions. Now I need to know. Pause the pause the podcast. While Todd looks that up, I have a question as to the decoctions. Nature. Decoctions. Yeah, there you go. That that word is never used outside of the games. Oh well. Um, the nature of his mutation. Um, a few questions. Yeah. Was he born a witcher or was he? No one is born a witcher. It was the Spartan program, Kyle. Thank he was you, made Todd. like a Spartan. So actually, that's a really good. That's a really good segue. So the school, the witchers is the witchers are basically one of your one of our very many factions. The witchers are this kind of independent, neutral band of monster hunters traveling adventurers basically these this is like your D adventurers guild right these guys are superhuman people ability with the with abilities that surpass most normal villagers and peasants and they go from town to town finding adventure hunting monsters but again remember this is a cynical take on high fantasy so Geralt as a witcher is a mutant he's a monster he is he is a, a monster hunter who most people fear and and see as a monster himself um Geralt's abilities are because of his one his training but two an an event called the trial of the grasses which is a uh event a ritual that is done by the witchers in a very young age where which where they're basically infused with a series of toxins potions poisons and and other magical properties to be able to withstand, it's basically a super uh, super soldier serum. 
Okay. Hmm. So it's it's not unlike how they uh, made Wolverine. Okay. It's very okay. it's very it's very grisly, very brutal process. I I stand by my Your my comparison Spartan to comparison. the Spartan program. Mm-hmm. I, I I that makes sense. Um, I have some follow up questions. Is this something? Do you choose to be a Witcher, or are you drafted in a sense? Short answer, no. Long answer, we're going to get there. Great question. Can anyone become go th- like go through this trial, or do is there like anyone can go through it, but few people actually succeed. Sure, it. So, sure, sure, sure. So the whole deal is um, a lot of people die. I mean, imagine this is just a a, a group of traveling murder hobos who strap young boys to a table and and inject them full of poisons until they reach near death until they don't die (laughs) and that's a thing too that only men can become witchers correct so as you can imagine there is a lot of uh fear around the witcher school and and generally in this world we're kind of coming on the on the back half of the bell curve of of witchers kind of being a thing so witchers are already starting to become a little extinct monster you know humanity has now uh conquered everywhere in this in this this massive continent so there's not a lot of like unconquered or, or still like untamed lands so there just aren't a lot of monsters left which means there's less of a need for witchers so combine that with the fact that witches are pretty rare and most people um i've only heard about them in like fables like like poor poor dirty grimy peasants telling their kids like be nice or the witches are gonna come and take you you know it's that kind of thing got it um so they see them as as mutants. Can you give as, us your your grimy villager voice? Uh, we've, we're gonna get plenty of grimy villagers. If you <laughs> want more grimy villagers, you should uh, check out our episode that we did a couple months ago. Yeah. Okay. So that that's Geralt. Um, most people also assume or think that witchers cannot feel, um, which Geralt definitely leans into with his personality. He's his exterior is very much like brash and cold and unfeeling, and there's a lot of grunts and mm, and. Ugh. But, um, but deep down, Geralt's actually an incredibly empathetic person, a very intelligent person, and uh, just really just does not give a shit about people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, he's kind of like, he, ba- he barely considers himself a human, or, or at least like, he, he's, a, he's a human, but like, he is very detached from the politics of man. And he could give a shit about kingdoms and kings and territories and all that. He just like, he just wants to make money and, and chill. He's here to hunt monsters and and cash out. So then we've got Princess Cirilla, or otherwise known as Siri. Um, Fiona Ellen Rhiannon. She's got three last That's names. That's a lot of names. Good. Too many names. What you doing hogging all those names? She's got four names because she's royalty. Uh, Siri is Siri's going to be your other primary protagonist of this series. Now, we're not going to get a lot from her in the early anthologies. Um, she is definitely the, the main focus of the five-book series. And most of the story is actually told from Siri's journey. Um, about half of it doesn't even involve Geralt at all. Oh, interesting. 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 I never would have guessed. It's, yeah. it's constantly amazing to me how little Geralt is actually involved in the back half of these novels. Hmm. I feel like there's something else, another book that does that, but I can't place it, and I don't need to waste our time with it. But it's, it's not unheard of. So Siri, like I said, she's your other main protagonist. She is the princess and heir to Sintra. Sintra is one of the kingdoms of of man, which we'll which we'll discuss here in just a bit. Siri is also revealed to be a source. 
which is basically an incredibly strong font of magical power. Mm. Now, this is different than just being magically uh, having magical aptitude. She is kind of like an actual like a, a source from which you would draw magic rather than someone who can just like attune to magic. Question. Um, yes. Is she a serif or sans serif font? <laughs> I don't. What? <laughs> what? You said, I don't you get said that. she was a font of magic, and I'm asking: oh, is, God. is she You're a serif or sans serif font? She's definitely a sans serif font. All right, got it. Um, I hated that whole joke. Her Matt's the worst. Uh, we all we all can agree. Matt's he just is. terrible. Uh, that joke yeah. was there for somebody. Somebody laughed. All the con majors loved that. <laughs> everyone, you can't hear it, but everyone's clapping. Yep. So, uh, series magical power is due to her lineage she's got Ciri's got the elder blood it's basically because she's a direct descendant of the the first peoples that that first series of elves that were basically wiped out from existence and then you know she is there's a lot of things that she's called sometimes some call her the child of surprise she's also called the lion cub of Sintra. she's got a lot of she's also got a lot of names sure Uh, she she is bound to Geralt by destiny and that sounds really cheesy, but but it'll make sense as we get through it. It's it was destiny came up a lot in the show, and destiny was, comes up an, an exorbitant amount. Yep, and it yeah. was one of those things that is like, is it? I mean, I think it's the whole show is like, is destiny real or is it something people talk about? And mm-hmm. it, yeah. yeah, I mean, for a real. for a world with no gods, there is a lot of talk about destiny. Yep, and that that is to read The Witcher is literally to go through a. Um, like a philosophy 101 class. <laughs> there, there's, there's a, there's an impressive amount of just narrative arguing morals and arguing decisions that have really no right answer. And that's again, like not to, not to shed so much praise on the games, but I think the Witcher three, like the Witcher three has gotten a lot of praise for the way that it, that it makes you make decisions that are morally gray, mm-hmm. but it does that because it, it really does is the the overall vibe and the theme behind the Witcher series. It's this world is not black and white. There there's really not any one right answer. You just you as a person just have to do what you think is best. And again, yep. the whole first episode sets yep. that up great. The lesser evil. The, yeah. There are no lesser evils, yeah. And over yep. and over again, like my perspective is the game, over and over again, like you even when you think you're making the best choice, it always comes with like a large side of bad. Yep. Like there's always a price. Yep. Yeah. You, you, there are so few times that you're like, wow, I went in as the good guy and I left as the still very good guy. Like very right. few times you get to like walk out feeling just great about everything. Yeah. There, there is never a save the baby or throw the baby in the river moment. Yeah. If you save the baby, it's only because you hand it off to the parent who then threw it in the river. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other greasy peasant who threw it in the river. Yeah. Okay, and then we have our third uh, primary protagonist, as if so, so to speak, which is Yennefer of Vengerberg. Um, Yennefer is considered to be one of the most powerful and also unpredictable sorceresses uh, in current time. Um, she is eternally bound to Geralt. Uh, they have a very complicated relationship. Um, they are bound to each other by by a very specific reason, which we'll we'll discuss here in a little bit. Um, and she's a very mysterious character. She again, another situation of like Ger- we only know what Geralt knows. Much of Yennefer's background is mysterious to Geralt. Geralt knows that she's much, much older than he is because of the way magic works and sorceresses just live a very long time. Um, 
Geralt has speculates about her background, but never asks and just kind of like makes assumptions. Um, we, we don't know much about her when she's introduced in, in the anthologies. Um, Geralt makes a passing remark that says he assumes that or she, he can kind of tell from her mannerisms that she was a hunchback before she became a sorceress. Which is a weird uh, conclusion to get drawn to. Which is, a weird thing, which is a weird thing to infer, but we learn later about the world of sorceresses, why that isn't super weird. Um, we know that mostly sorceresses and sorcerers, for that matter, are much older than they appear. They use heavy, heavy illusion magic to, to alter their appearance. Um, so Geralt says, like, by the way she walks, by the way she, like, carries herself, he can, he imagines or whatever. Um, that's important to know as it relates to Yennefer in the show, which is probably the biggest difference between show and book is how they handled Yennefer's character. Huh, um, interesting. Yennefer, also you have to understand, is incredibly cold and, unfe- and unfeeling. She is manipulative. She is, she is unpredictable. She is not a good person, like, at all. She's not a good person. She, um, she is, like, if you were to put all these people on D&D alignment charts, she is, like, chaotic neutral. Huh. Hmm. So would you say that, like, in a word, would you say that the show, like, humanized her? in a way yes okay yes they're trying to they're definitely trying to make yennefer a more of a sympathetic Sympathetic hero yeah which which makes Um, sense i mean which absolutely makes sense but again that's why that's the book is so interesting because you're seeing everything from Geralt's perspective and Geralt is an unreliable narrator Geralt is afraid of yennefer but also loves her incredibly and their relationship is very complicated and it shows in the way that he talks about her so it's it's an interesting way that they took it in the show. I like it a lot. We'll talk about it later, but um, yeah, I, I think I think it's a it's a good spin. Um, she's also like very neutral when it comes to politics among the mages. Mages are very um, have have kind of dug dug into and very involved. Is they're all they all serve as advisors to the different kings, and they're very involved and and almost like basically kind of puppet masters to control the different kingdoms and make them do what they want to do. They're very manipulative people. Again, all mages are assholes. <laughs> and and Yennefer kind of like avoids all of that, all that bullshit. Okay, so that takes us to the final character and arguably the best character, which is Dandelion slash Yaskir, the bard, the poet. Yes. My, my boy. The classic horny bard character. Yeah. Horny bard number 12. Maybe you're going to answer this. Is Yaskir an actual character in the book or is he just in the show? Yaskir is, Jan- is Dandelion. It's the same person. Yaskir is Dandelion is actually a mistranslation. Oh, Yaskir. Yaskir is the is the official name of that character. Um, Dandelion was a mistranslation. It was something else, and then when they when they translated in America or in in English for Americans, it was then retranslated to Dandelion. Do you think, hmm. knowing that the show does timeline jumps, um, do you think that they would ultimately bring in Dandelion once they settled on like a time? Yaskir is Dandelion. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just guy. it's just it's dandelion. They're just calling him Yaskir. Okay. Yeah. Um that arguably confusing. And if yeah. you didn't know that, then that would be weird when you're like, who is this guy? And why is he There will be a listicle out at some point. Yep. Oh, I, and I'm sure season two, like episode one, 
he's gonna jokingly refer to him as dandelion and all the yep. all the nerds yeah. at, at home will be like ah, ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah there there will be a nod to it something um, like you always pop up just like dandelions or some shit and then we throw it away <laughs> and they never hear it yeah. again yep exactly yeah. but every nerd at home will be just ah, ah! yeah that that's exactly what's gonna happen um so <laughs> the best character <laughs> he is he is the best character he's my favorite character um he is also a your comic relief right mm-hmm. dandelion is a is a he's a spoony bard uh that's a final fantasy four four reference um he's his who's, dick who's op- that for it's for me it's that's for that one's for <laughs> that, that one's, one's for, for daddy, daddy. yeah, yeah that there one's it is. for daddy mm. um his his dick is constantly getting him and Geralt into scrapes you know he's He's usually the reason why Geralt is is uh, in gets into trouble, and Geralt has to get them out of trouble. But uh, he is he is Geralt's de facto best friend and travel and eternal tra- traveling companion. He isn't always around. It's just like it's really funny in the series. Like Dandelion will just kind of show up. Yep, <laughs> it'll be like, oh, Dandelion's here now. And uh, this is another kind of weird like timeline thing with the show is they're making a linear timeline from something that is inherently modular. So they have to have reasons for Dandelion to like dip in and out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas like he just, I mean, he's a traveling poet. Like he's just, he just pieces out every once in a while and like Geralt will like, find him drunk at a bar and be like, oh, hey. And he'll, you know, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Um, Watching the show, I definitely like under my breath muttered the words like fucking bard. More than one time <laughs> yeah. when Yaskier was causing problems. He is he is horny bard number 12. Absolutely. So, uh, oh, and I have here, um, he is the world's first PR manager. What's, which, the reason why, I mean, you might ask, like, why does Geralt even keep this guy around? He, I mean, he's, Geralt, Geralt begrudgingly, you know, loves Dandelion's humor and, and appreciates him, but also because Dandelion is basically his marketing manager. And Dandelion will go from time to time. I'm just going to keep calling him Dandelion, but, you know, if yeah. you need to, it's, it's Yaskier in the show. Um, he, Dandelion will, you know, will recount all of Geralt's tears. And that's why, that's what Dandelion gets out of this is he is basically chronicling all of Geralt's stories. So what you're reading a lot of the times are Dandelion's recounts of, of epic adventures with Geralt Arivia. That was not an uncommon thing. No. Um when when you know when there were knights or whatever there you know yep. a a well-known fighter or jouster or whatever would have a, a a hype man bard that would ride in in front and just be like, "Hey, this badass is on his way to town. Are you all ready for this badass to come? Let me tell oh, you yeah. about I mean, him." Yeah, he's 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 kind of like a war correspondent yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so those are the main characters. Let's get into some of the different factions. We'll start with the Four Kingdoms. So we've got these series of, of interconnected, but still like, you know, isolated kingdoms. Um, each one of these kingdoms, each one of these areas kind of anal- is an analog to different places in Europe. So we start with the Four Kingdoms, which are probably the most important. This is where the majority of the show takes place, or the majority of the, of the story takes place. Um, if you go on, I, I sent you a, a handy little world map. Yeah, you which, did. Um, I was ex- which I was explaining. We'll have this up in the show notes, of course. Um, this is funny in itself because there was a long time where the author refused to um, actually like stake his claim in a world map. So there's a lot of fan versions of the maps based on like descriptions in the book. Um, now Netflix has released like an official quote unquote map, but, uh, it's, it's really funny that it took a very long time to actually get like an understanding of where all these different places appear to in relation to each other. 
So uh, we start from the top. Um, ignore the little mountainous areas for now. We've got the four kingdoms, which are Tamaria, Redania, Kedwin, and Edirn. And again, that's 80% of the story, the, the series takes place in, in these four kingdoms, the majority taking place in either Tamaria or Redania. Um, let's start with Tamaria. Uh, Tamaria is probably the most important of all of these. Tamaria is ruled by King Fultest. Um, capital is Vizima, which is a, an important area in the in the game. Um, originally translated as Wizim. A um, couple other important points there. We've got the Forest of Brokilon, uh, which is in the show, and then the Battle of Sodden Hill, which is important. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the Isle of Thened, which is uh, which comes into play later in uh, in the series. Uh, Redania is the second of the four kingdoms that's ruled by King Vizimir, um, later by Radovid V, who is a major uh, character in Witcher 3. Um, we've got a couple main, a uh, couple key players here. Sigismund Dijkstra, who is a personal favorite, and yeah. Todd's nodding his head. He's he is fantastic, a really good character in Witcher 3. Um, there's not a lot of notable places in Redania. The biggest one is um, probably Oxenfurt University, Doesn't- which is where. Sorry, go, doesn't Dijkstra get, like, doesn't he have a different, he has a nickname, doesn't he? He's got a lot of nicknames. He's, like, uh, head of CIA. Yeah, because, like, when he, when he shows up in the third one, spoiler alert, they don't call him Dijkstra until you meet him. Like, No, no, he's going by an alias because at the time, Redania was um, under, was that was when Redania was uh, under martial law. Yeah, I, I would agree, though. He, like, he was an enjoyable character in three because, like, you mm-hmm. don't like him, but you also, like, he's slimy. He's he's a lovable piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we don't get too. We're not going to get too much of him until uh, book one, until Blood of Elves, and then uh, so Oxenfurt University is an important place in within Redania. That's where Dandelion went to school. It's probably it's the most notable, the only really mentioned like higher learning. Um, it's a university where smart people go because this is basically the Middle Ages and everyone's a greasy peasant. Uh, okay, and then the other, the two of the four kingdoms are less important. We've got Kedwin, which um, is ruled by King Hensel, ultimately not important until Witcher 2, the game, and uh, is in home to Kaer Morin, which is the Witcher stronghold, which is the castle where you you do the tutorial in Witcher 3. Oh, okay. Kaer Morin yes. comes up in the series too, doesn't it? It does. That's where, that's, it. that's where they go in Blood of Elves. So that's where we'll be. That's where we'll be going season two. That's literally as far as I got in Witcher three this week yeah. after I bought it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and then finally, we've got Edern, which is remarkably unimportant as far as the Four Kingdoms go. Just know right now it's ruled by King Demavend, um, who is ultimately assassinated. Uh, uh, Edern contains a couple important places: uh, Dolblathana, which is one of the major ruined capitals of the Elves, um, called the Edge of the World which is uh, the basis of one of the early stories. Um, later, kind of revamped into a bastion for elven uh, refugees. And then uh, Edern also includes uh, Vengerberg, which is the birthplace of Yennefer, Yennefer of Vengerberg, and also Rivia, which is not the birthplace of Geralt. <gasps> what? Well, everything is a lie. <laughs> Shut it down. Um, so those are the four kingdoms. We've got, of course, the, the primary, our main antagonist, of the series, the Nilfgaardian Empire, the big bad Imperial Empire. Which, like, what a nerd name! Like yeah. the Nilfgaardians, <laughs> yeah. those nerds. And they and to be and like the racist slur for Nilfgaardians is they call them the Nilfs. 
Good. They should yeah. be called the Nilfs. The, the damn Nilfs. So if the Four Kingdoms are kind of your like Eastern, Western Europe and analog, right? That's like England, Germany, uh, Poland, obvi. Um, in that kind of like that kind of part of Europe, um, Nilfgaard Empire is your analog for what I consider to be the Ottoman Empire. Oh, um, gotcha. Gotcha, which gotcha. like kind of makes sense when you when you map it on. So Nilfgaard, Nilfgaard was once considered to be savage, savage, untamed lands. It was mostly desert, mostly like uninhabitable land, and and now has become a very legitimate threat to the Northern Kingdoms, which otherwise known as the Four Kingdoms. Um, Nilfgaard is now ruled by Emperor Emir Var Emreis, who is uh, the owner of that cool metal ass alias that I mentioned earlier. Um, oh, yeah, Emir, can... Emir is a, a cutthroat ruler who is pretty much hell bent on conquering this continent, which is called the continent. <laughs> and he's the nerdy white guy with the bowl cut in the show, right? No, he's not in the show at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. We don't, we don't know him in the show yet. Got he it. is, he appears later in the series, but he is. We don't really see him ever in the books until book five. We just hear about him, and there there are kind of like brief uh, mentions of Nilfgaard and and news about Emir. He's kind of this like weird celebrity status. He's uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Yes, that's a great that's a great comparison that that many people don't get, but they should because that shows awesome. Is yeah, I got that one. Is Nilfgaardian Leviosa anything? It's Get nothing. Out. It's, okay. Get it's out. Todd getting kicked out of the call. All right. Well, yeah. that's what it is. That's for someone out there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So other no, other no guardians that, of the galaxy. All right. I'm done. Okay. Other other less important but still key kingdoms that are at play here. Other major players. We've got Sintra, um, which most of you who've seen the show know about. Uh, Sintra is kind of an analog to the to southeastern Europe, so maybe like Italy or Greece. Um, Sintra is ruled by Queen Calanth. Uh, the lioness of Sintra, um, home to print to Siri, princess and heir of Sintra. Um, Sintra is also, as far as the show, the timeline, of the show is currently allied with the Skellige Isles um, through through Calanth's second marriage, which we'll hear about here in a bit. Um, and then, of course, the most important thing that Sintra brings to the table is the fact that they were conquered <laughs> by <laughs> Nilfgaard and pretty much raised raised to hell in in what is known as the First Northern War. Huge, huge bummer. Yep. Um, also, if you love geopolitical <laughs> conversations and just getting digging real deep into the politics of fake empires, boy, oh boy, you'll love the Witcher series. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I think you're kind of getting to it now that um, in the third one, there's a whole thing about like two kids that are going to rule and who should rule and all that jazz. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's real good shit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the Skellige Isles, or Skellige, the islands of Skellige, however you want to call it. These are your Vikings. These are your chill Viking bros. Mm-hmm. Cool. They rule. <laughs> they rule. Yep. Uh, they're they're ruled by Kroch on Crate, um, who just kicks Bless so much you. ass. Yeah, in, in, which, in, <laughs> in Witcher 3. Now, what's funny about Kroch is uh, he is a pretty unimportant... He's kind of a minor character in one of the stories that we're going to talk about here in a bit. He's just this kind of, like, shitty teen who you know, gets real drunk at a party, but the, the Witcher three book was like, what if we made him awesome and uh, <laughs> made him the ruler of Skellige? So Skellige is actually not very important. They're only kind of side mentioned a few times, but they're a main, uh, a main place to go in Witcher three. 
So that's why I want to talk about them. Um, oh, Siri, and it's important to note that Siri basically grew up here. Um, she kind of considers a lot of like Croc and, and his family like her cousins, basically. Um, and then two other countries which we probably won't even cover until way, way later. We've got Kovir and Povis, which are your Scandinavia. So they're they're kind of like the mountainous regions. They're people that they just nobody gives a shit about Kovir and Povis. They're way up north. They're they're just kind of doing their own thing. They're notoriously neutral. Um, they're also super rich from they've got a bunch of like gem mines. Um, so the dwarves in the mines made them super rich. What makes a man turn neutral? um and then you've got Toussaint which is uh, obviously your France or Brussels analog um they're another neutral territory that won't be important until book four um but they are it also is the the uh main setting for the Witcher 3 DLC Blood and Wine which did you play that one Todd I did not I did not play any of the DLCs which I I think I might even have them all I don't know. I I like. It took me two years to beat The Witcher because I kept getting. Distracted. I know it's 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 so much. Um, I mean the the DLCs are excellent. Uh, Tucson again, not very important for today's. Uh, but people who have played the games have heard of it. Um, just know that they make a lot of wine and they're protected by forests. Easy. Cool. So those are the kingdoms. Um, let's go through some of the non-kingdom factions. And again, there's a lot of generalities here. But once you understand all the different politics at play, the story makes goes really really quick. Um, just know that these factions are important because, like I said, when it comes to Siri, everybody wants a piece. Everybody wants Siri for their own gain, for their own purposes. And, and that could be for to, to better their own kingdom, to get power for their own people, or to get power for their own faction. Um, so there's all these different factions. So I think the most important non-kingdom related faction is the Witchers, which we talked a little bit about them. Um, we don't really get anything about Witchers other than Geralt in the first, in the anthologies. And we get a couple brief things what Geralt recounts, but most of the stuff with the Witchers, we don't actually get until Blood of Elves when Geralt goes home to Kaer Morhen. Um, so I, I won't spend too much time. Um, there's names like Vesemir, Eskel, Eskel Lambert, uh, all the chill, chill Witcher dudes that you hang out with in Witcher 3 um, when you go back to Kaer Morhen. Um, there's, there's a lot with those guys when, we, when uh, Geralt takes Ciri to, to train at Kaer Morhen, but we won't get into that too much. I did want to touch on the Law of Surprise. Um, the Law of Surprise is really, really crucial to understand what's going on behind the show. Um, the Law of Surprise acts as this world's like gentleman's code, basically. Um, it's something that one uh, enacts or, or one calls when one when you save somebody's life. So it's like you know. Remember again, this is a world where everyone's flat broke. So if you save someone's life, what are they going to give you? Pocket change, right? Like the, <laughs> these peasants, mm-hmm. like they're just they're facing down danger, hungry wolves and and jackals and terrifying monsters every fucking day um these greasy peasants don't have anything to give so they you they they use the law of surprise which it basically states uh you you will repay you will be repaid by or you will pay me what you find at home yet don't expect hmm. neat so that could be virtually anything and i think this is a common misconception is people think this is like basically calling a child or just like asking for a child what it means is virtually anything this could be like an unexpected harvest 
or it could be like a stray animal that find you know like a goat that finds itself on your farm right again this is a code between greasy farmers basically and when it when it comes up in the show they they do kind of spell that out mm-hmm. yeah Geralt. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do a really good job he's, of that. Yeah. He's like, I, I was good. I was expecting a goat or something, and yeah. it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. He's like, when I made this deal, how could I have known this is what like this would have become or whatever? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of it. That's that's to understand the law of surprises to know again. This is a gentleman's code exchange between greasy peasants. <laughs> um, so of course that could mean an unexpected harvest, or it could mean a firstborn child. And, and that comes into play, consider like the, you know, this, this gets very much into like the Odyssey or like Greek tragedies, right? Where it's like the soldier off to war who hasn't seen their family, his family in years. Um, he is, uh, another soldier saves his life. He enacts the law of surprise. The law of surprise is what you don't know what you find when you get home. What you find when you get home is your wife had a kid, right? Right. So mm-hmm. that kid then belongs to the man who saved your life. So that is a very common iteration of the law of surprise that's why most people just kind of gravitate to that but it doesn't just mean taking your kid oh interesting good to know mm-hmm. it doesn't just mean taking your kid it doesn't just mean <laughs> now here's where here's where, here's it's where it does sometimes mean that here's where it sometimes mean this this is answering kyle's first question is how does somebody become a witcher well well kyle well when a mommy witcher <laughs> and a daddy witcher <laughs> <laughs> they love each other there very, can't much. Be mommy very, very much. Todd, we already covered this. They, they decide to call the stork witcher. Um, no, so the law of surprise is something that witchers in uh, historically have called on in order to basically fill their ranks, right? So this is how witchers get more witchers: is they save a greasy peasant from the the tentacles of a kikamora or uh, the the horns of a uh, fucking whatever that metal monster is that we talked about in the last episode. Um, the peasant can't really, doesn't have the money to pay them the bounty of, you know, thousands of gold. The witcher says, fine, you can pay me by giving me that, that which you do not know that you have, or that which you have at home, but don't expect, which in that case is a son. And the witchers do this so that they can basically claim ownership. So they take this firstborn son and that's how witchers draft children into their own ranks. Cause witchers are, witchers are sterile, aren't they? Yeah. Which is just sterile. Yeah. Yep. Oh. So the trial of the grasses, much like sorceresses, mm-hmm. which which will be important later, witchers are sterile. The trial of the grasses effectively makes all witchers sterile. Um, and we talked a little about the trial of the grasses. That's how that's the this grisly ritual that turns boys into witchers. Geralt went through the trial of the grasses. It turned that's what turned Geralt's hair white and his eyes yellow. He wasn't born with white hair and yellow eyes, but that's what turned that's what made him look like a mutant, basically. Because all witchers have yellow eyes, don't they? Um, I think I feel like so. That's, I feel like that was, at least I remember that as a common thing in um, the third one where they would reference their yellow eyes or whatever. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They, he technically has cat eyes um, mm. because that's, it, like, oh. specifically, like, it's called out that he has cat eyes. Yeah. And you can see it if you if you look in his character models in the games. I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't make Henry Cavill have cat eyes. I think they'll look really yeah. silly. Yeah. Um, because they don't really like they they he like legit has cat eyes in the in the first two Witcher games. Yeah, they're they really bad. They kind of tone it down. They they look it looks really weird. So I'm glad they just kind of moved away from that. Yeah, it's, I want to make an interesting connection to the show back with the law of surprise thing. There was this line, and I think the first episode of the series, which I only remember because I watched it like 72 hours ago, um, huh. where sure. uh, Geralt is talking to Roach, 
and he says like i kill monsters i get paid in coin and it seemed like kind of a throwaway line that he would emphasize he gets paid in coin he's like obviously but the law of surprise thing makes it seem like more of a i want coin not more boys yeah yeah and that's that's really important to know too with with Geralt hates the law of surprise he hates all of this shit like Geralt the the witchers are dying out and that's almost by choice the the witchers hate the things that have been done to them and these are like these aren't bad guys like especially like what you learned the school the wolf they're all like pretty pretty chill yeah they're good good, they're good good dudes they're they don't want to hurt people I mean they they will they'll do what they have to but they generally like they don't favor you know they they look at the trial the grasses as kind of like an, a, a thing of, sh- of shame um and they and and specifically in witcher 3 it's like kind of a big moment if you know about the history you do the trial of the grasses and you don't even do it to like a person well you do it to you do it to, you do it to a person but they're they're comatose and like they all like really really struggle with it like they all have you know incredible trauma from this thing that they were forced to do and you know and this is like Vesemir is basically Geralt's dad, the person who did this to him, and he's like he lives with the people, the the men that he did all this to. Like it's it's pretty powerful stuff. It's interesting. Yeah. And so they so just know that they they hate it. They kind of like Geralt hates all this shit. He's like I don't give a, I don't give a crap about any of this. Geralt is Geralt at this point in his life has has basically and he says it in you know Cavill's character says it in the show is like I don't I don't need to continue the Witcher line. Like this can die with me basically. I also took I took that line when I watched it, Matt, to also kind of mean like they don't get paid in in land or or honor or any of that stuff that would like build wealth over time. It's we get paid in coin and that's what yep, we live off of and then it's cash yeah, up front. And then when, when yep. we run out, we go and do it again. They're basically living like drug dealers. Yeah. They're they're living they're living like drug dealing drug dealing hobos. Yep. Okay, so another major faction we've got the mages. Remember what I said? All mages are assholes. All mages are assholes. Just just in case you forgot. Just, just remember just in case at you all forgot. times if you're yeah, dealing the with the Yeah, the acronym is is AMA. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Ma! <laughs> the meatloaf. I'm out the meatloaf. <laughs> all right, good. Big more cheesy um, puffs. That's my contribution to this section. When when I refer to mages, I'm speaking of sorcerers and sorceresses, both. Um, there are other magic users, like traditional fantasy magic users. There are druids. There are shirgans, like healers. Um, specifically, mages refer to mages refer to people who who wield magic or who channel chaos and and turn it into magic, a la sorcerers, aka sorcerers and sorceresses. Okay, so that kind of answers a question I had. So druids mm-hmm. and the other one, the healers, don't... Shirgans, Shirgans, healers, those are like your clerics. They don't channel chaos. They use some Correct. other form of magic? Yep. Okay. They, they're, it's more, they're more just like scholars, like like very realistic versions. They're, they're court healers or they're, they're town healers or druids are, are your, your traditional like, you know... I speak pot smoking. I speak pot smoking. I speak to the. I speak for the trees. Yeah, yeah your Loraxes. The Lorax is a druid. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that the didn't Lorax go is, over my head. The Lorax is a dryad, to be to be specific. Okay, but we'll get there. a spirit of the forest. <laughs> yeah. Um, important mages uh, outside of Yennefer, she's you're definitely your 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 main your main magic user. We've got Triss Marigold, who I mentioned earlier. She serves as oh, most of the mages, most of the sorceresses serve as advisors to kings. The sorcerers are um, 
at the beginning of the show, they're kind of like, you know, like every town has a wizard, which is like a, like a town, just like a town wise man. Sorcerers just like sorcerers are just kind of live up in their tower and they're just kind of dicks to people. Um, sorceresses are advisors and are like actually politically involved. Um, so a couple important mages, you've got Triss Marigold, who is the advisor to Foltest and Temeria. Um, you've got Philippa Eilhart, who is a big, important character in the games and important character in the series. She's the advisor to uh, the King Vizimir of Redania and works alongside Dijkstra. Um, and she is later the leader of the Lodge of Sorceresses, which is a, a big mover and shaker in the latter half of the series. Um, other people to note, we've got Fringilla Vigo, who is the advisor to Nilfgaard. Now, she's an important character in the series who they're kind of painting as one of our one of our big bads, which mm. is really interesting, and we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to talk about my feelings toward how they portray Nilf- Nilfgaard. Um, and then we've got Vilgefortz, who's the leader of the Brotherhood of Sorcerers, and is our big bad of the series. He's the big bad of the series? Yep. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. That's, oh. that's not what he is on the TV show yet. Not yeah. at all. Uh, but he does Not throw knives all. out of his pocket, which was a fun power. <laughs> he he get he gets he gets fucking nailed like a chump, which I think they're they're trying to set that up. But we can yeah. talk about it in a bit. Um, quick um, question: I don't yeah. see Mausak on this list. Who, who I feel he's, like I, he's a druid. Oh, he's a druid. Okay, cool. Yeah, which one? Yep. Mausak. Mausak is the 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 court mage act, acting mage at Sintra. Okay. Um, Sintra Sintra's whole thing is they didn't want mages to be involved. Uh, and they mentioned that in the show. They don't do a good job of explaining what Malsec is, but Malsec is a druid specifically. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Um okay, and then a couple like areas of note. We've got Thened Island, which is the primary setting for book two of the novel series, and then the school at Eratusa, which is uh, the setting of most of Yennefer's backstory in the show. Um, and also another important character. She's not that important. She only appears in one book, but I wanted to mention Tissaia DeVries, who is really important in Yennefer's backstory in the show in episode two, two, three, and four. And then, and then later at the end, which is the battle for Sodden Hill, which I am so happy they did the battle for Sodden Hill. Um, this is a great example of, of the primary, again, the difference between how the show handles the storytelling and how the books do it. Um, remember I said, you know, we don't know what happens unless Geralt knows it. Yeah. Geralt, Geralt was never at the Battle for Sodden Hill. Geralt heard about it and then later went to the monument. Um, mm. but, but the Battle for Sodden Hill is an incredibly important event that we never see. Interesting. Until the, sh- yeah. until the show came up. Until until they did and they did a whole episode about it in the show and it was that was really cool. Um, it is a famous battle where a bunch of the mages teamed up to stop Nilfgaard, the first, which is again the first Northern War. So after Nilfgaard conquered Sintra, they started marching north and the mages got together. They teamed up, superhero uh, uh, ultimate alliance style, and stopped Nilfgaard at the border. It was very well done. It was a cool battle. Yeah, on the it was TV cool. Series. It was it was very good. I, I liked it a lot. Um, and we even got some good, some good, uh, Triss, uh, story that they kind of dovetailed in there, um, Mm -hmm. which we'll, we'll talk about more about Triss, obviously. And then the last major faction here, we've got the Skoyatel, and you, it's specifically Skoyatel. Um, these are the Elven Freedom Fighters, um, who are kind of our antagonist on the, on the front half of the book series. Um, they're also, they also appear a little bit in the games. They're basically 
kind of like elven refugees and they represent the last the last kind of like survivors of this elvish population which is which is you know going pretty much going extinct um they're basically terrorists they act as you know uh pockets of like bandits basically so they attack carts and civilians and people and and are are kind of like scattering the soldiers of the northern region so they're not in themselves they're not important but they're a big reason why the north just was not ready for a Nilfgaard mm, sure all right so that was a lot I know that was a lot that was about an hour in generalities any questions on just like generalities like locations factions things like that not yet what what episode was the battle for Sodden Hill like the last the last one, one you haven't watched yeah. yet okay. seven I think it's seven Oh, it's not uh, the last one. No, I, I think Battle for Sodden Hill is the finale. Was it the finale? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty confident in that, yeah. So I was poking around on that interactive map, Andrew, and apparently Yennefer is about 60 years younger than Geralt. Um, that is wrong. Um, she appears to be that, but she's actually way older, and they 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 try to subtly imply that the Yennefer backstory in Eretuza takes place very many many years before anything we see with Geralt in the show. I mean, it's got like Yennefer is born. Yeah, I mean that that's fine. I like, I disagree with that. And it's thirty years after yeah. Geralt is born, birth of Geralt. Yeah, so that's cool. I mean that that's a big difference. Like I said, they, they that she doesn't have a birth a birth date gotcha. in the series. So that's another that's a great example of like they're just they're trying to flesh out Yennefer's character. Um, and and that's like where the Netflix show fits in. So we'll talk a little bit about the Netflix show and how it relates to the books. So the Netflix show, like I said, is is a retelling of The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, which are both anthologies, a series of short stories intended to introduce the different movers and shakers of this world. The show uh, had the very Herculean task of creating one linear timeline and one cohesive story out of a smattering of different events because the way that these stories are told in the anthologies are not in chronological order it's it's actually Geralt Geralt has an encounter with a monster and then is healing up at a at a hospital basically in a temple and is recounting different like mm. his past journeys so the last wish for example the first book is uh is kind of like it's it's like it gives you the present and then it gives you, it kind of like Tarantino's it and it's like, Geralt's like, I remember like my first encounter and I remember my first journey with Dandelion and this is how I met Yennefer. Like it's, it's all of Geralt's firsts basically. Gotcha. Nice. So the, the show had the task of, of putting that all in one like linear storytelling element or one linear flow without it not covering like 20 years worth of worth of adventures yeah um and the and the reason why they did that is the show is specifically trying to build three compounding stories so instead of just seeing get from Geralt's eyes you're seeing things from Yennefer's eyes and from Ciri's eyes which is inherently different from the books gotcha so that said the show only one third of the show is actually true to the books oh gotcha okay okay Everything that happens in Yennefer's story, so like her advent, her like you know upbringing, like her being a hunchback and her being mm-hmm. taken from Tessia and taken to Eretuza and that whole thing with uh, with uh, Istred, the black sorcerer, and like all that's original canon, original content. 
None of that happens. It's made in such a way that it could fall into like the storyline. Yep, exactly. The it's, greater it's Witcher taken, canon. It's taken from it's taken from hints that were made later on in the series. So like all the stuff at Eretuza, we don't even hear about Eretuza until book two, time for a time of contempt. But it took a lot of the stuff that Geralt talks about with about Eretuza and inserted it into Yennefer's backstory, which is incredibly smart. So most of the show is just like really good fanfic. Yep. Nice. Cool. Nice. Yep. And it's Sick. and and Sepkowski has said it's all canon because he loves the show. Oh, cool. That's good. that's yeah. cool. That is man. Refreshing. I didn't know that, and that's my favorite thing I've learned so far. It's cool. It's cool, especially because Sapkowski hates the games. Nice. And is like been like games are not a main, means of storytelling. These, this is utter schlock. But like he's like no nah, like Hysteric and and the Netflix team like they're fucking killing it. So <laughs> all right, very nice. I wonder if he always liked the idea of the show and how much extra Netflix mm-hmm. paid him to say yeah. the show is good yeah. and I like it. I, I'm sure I'm sure Witcher 3 Wild Hunt being game of the year like three years in a row and, yeah. you know, yeah. selling th- millions of copies and then that turning into a show deal. Like Netflix probably TV softened him to that. Softened sure. the blow. Sure. Yeah. How much money do we have to keep shooting out of this cannon into your front lawn before you finally say you like what we're doing? Exactly. So um, we'll go through. I want to go through now the first two books and then talk about the major stories that come out of that and then how some of those map on to different episodes of the show. All right. So we'll start with The Last Witch. Jeez. The Last Wish, which is is, uh, technically book one of the anthology, but it was actually published as book two, published second, which is very confusing. Ah, jeez. Yeah. And then we start with The Witcher. The, the original, the OG short story, uh, which is our introduction to Geralt of Rivia, badass monster hunter who bows to no man. Um, Geralt enters the city of Vizima, which was then known as Wizim, um, so changed, so retranslated later to Vizima, which is, of course is the capital of Temeria, one of the major of the four kingdoms, uh, in response to a bounty posted for a Striga. Is that the, S-T-R-I-G-A. Which one? Is that the... the... Demon the monster? cursed, the cursed. cursed, yeah, the cursed princess. Yeah. So this is this is no, this is episode. Yeah, this is the Christmas. This is yeah. episode three. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so the town wizard, so Geralt encounters the town wizard Velarad, um, who tells him that the Striga is actually Fultest's daughter, who was cursed as a baby. Um, not only that, but it's it's his daughter born out of an incestuous relationship with Fultest's sister. Oh, sweet. So it's his daughter niece. Icky. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of icky stuff that happens here. Again, this is a cynical look at fantasy. Yeah. Um. So Fultest then summons Geralt and tells him that he was informed that if someone prevents the Striga from returning to its coffin for the third night in a row, the curse would be lifted. So it's kind of like D and D vampire rules. <laughs> but he so he like he pleads Geralt to you know cure the Striga, not kill it. But he says, if you have to kill it, if if it if, if the curse doesn't get lifted, then kill her. Um, enter Lord Ostrin, Ostrid, who is a the town magnate. Which I don't know what a town magnate is. I guess just like another like wise man, dickhead. I don't know. I think a magnate is more of like a politician. I don't. Uh, is it like sure, what but... a a city manager is to a mayor? Is that what this is? A wealthy, a wealthy and influential person, especially in business. Yes. There it is. So he's he's probably loans a lot of money to the king, and he runs the super has, pack, and therefore yeah, has influence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a Coke brother. 
There it is. Yeah. There it is. Uh, Lord Ostrid tries to bribe Geralt to leave because he wants the Striga alive. Um, and he's, he's a lobbyist. Is, That's the word I'm looking for. He's a lobbyist. And remember I said, time after time, Geralt doesn't give a shit about politics. Um, Lord Ostrid is trying to secretly attempt a coup to overthrow King Foltest uh, in favor of Redania's king. And uh, Geralt doesn't give a shit. And instead, he kidnaps Ostrid and ties him up and uses him as bait. <laughs> Perfect. Good. What an excellent solution. Eat the yes. rich. Yep. Eat the rich. That's that's Geralt's that's Geralt's <laughs> platform. Um, Geralt then has a badass fight with the Striga by punching it into submission because he doesn't want to use his silver sword and kill it. So he just has a fist fight with this with this like werewolf vampire. And it's awesome. Which is awesome. And then uh, he knocks it out. He like he takes like a silver chain and wraps it up and just kicks it. <laughs> and then uh, and then knocks it out and sleeps in its coffin. Nice. That's so metal. Yeah, it's super metal. Um, he wakes up the next morning to see an unconscious girl lying naked outside of the coffin, freed from her curse. Uh, so mission mission accomplished. Uh, but then, and this happens exactly as it happens in the show, he kind of reaches down, and the girl wakes up and slashes his throat because this girl was born in the woods and is still feral and yeah. is basically a you know an animal. And uh, so th- this is the framing device for the rest of the stories in The Last Wish. Um, so this is what the show doesn't do because it kind of can't. Um, Geralt is severely wounded from this battle and is taken to the Temple of Melitel, which is, you know, again, Middle Ages hospital. Yeah. Basically, you've got your, your temple, your healers there. And he's, he's the remaining stories in The Last Wish are him recounting this to um, the healer. Uh, her the head of the temple is name her name is Nenenke 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 Nenenket I think something like that. Um, she's not important, but she'll she'll come back later. Um, okay, so let's talk about the TV show then. So how is this different from the show? Um, this is going to be episode three of the Geralt timeline, um, but the major difference is Triss is there. Triss was never there. Oh, okay. Triss, Triss was never a character at this point. Again, this was the original short story that spawned the entire series. So the only character that really stayed were Geralt and Fultest at this point. None of the other characters in the story even matter. Um, which I, they had to write Triss in. It, it only makes sense. Triss was known as the court wizard for the court right. advisor for Fultest. She yeah. should have been there. She just wasn't written in yet. So totally tracks. Um, okay, so another thing that you should know about the anthologies is... What Sapkowski did was he took a lot of known fairy tales and fables and kind of turned them on their head and told them in again in a, in a dark fantasy setting. So the next story is called Grain of Truth. Um, it's not really important. It's not in the show at all. It's basically just an interesting retelling of Beauty and the Beast, which is mm. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so the, the Beast is a, a monster that Geralt has to hunt down. And the beast is revealed to be intelligent, which Geralt doesn't kill intelligent beings. That's something that comes up again and again. Mm -hmm. Geralt learns that the beast, the titular beast, there it is again, there's that word, uh, (laughs) was was a thief who uh, tried to steal from this castle. And the enchantress who lived there cursed him to live as a beast. So he's got to cure the beast of of his curse. All right. Now we go to the lesser evil, which you will know as you will know as episode one of the show. Uh, um, this is the earliest story in the chronology, which makes sense why it was episode one. This is also more or less Geralt's origin story. This is why Geralt 
acts the way he does and believes the things that he does. Cool. Um, Geralt enters the city of Blaviken looking to cash in on a carcass of a Kikamora, which is shown in that, in that fucking badass opening yes. with Henry Cavill killing that tentacle monster. Um, unfortunately, some, as, as he does in the show, no one takes him up, takes him up on it. Um, he makes his way then to the town wizard, uh, Stregobor, who is in the show, who is given who a more major role. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah, he sucks so <laughs> he bad. Super sucks because what did I remember? Rule number two: <laughs> all mages are assholes. That's right. Um, Stregobor asks, asks Geralt to instead to ignore the Kikamora and, and get rid of this carcass, and instead kill a girl uh, that he's been hiding from. This girl is said to have the curse of the Black Sun and has been trying to kill him, him being Stregobor. Um, so Stregobor's been hiding up in his Tower of Illusions. He's make it, made it look like this like sexy Garden of Eden. He's basically hiding out in this locked tower from, from uh, this girl, Renfri. So Geralt then later meets Renfri at a tavern and her band of seven miscreants. Um, she confronts him and says that Stregobor is the real villain and offers Geralt the same to kill Stregobor instead and then says once he does, she'll skip town. And then they bang, of course. Perfect, well, of course. Yeah. As, as one does. Yep. As you do when you um, run into Henry Cavill in a tavern. Well, yep. um, well so... <laughs> and and Geralt's, Geralt's got a lot of strengths, but Geralt's one weakness is strong women. And uh, Geralt, Geralt can't say no to a strong woman and is often uh, taken advantage of and, and easily betrayed by said strong women. So this is, this is a recurring thing uh, time and time again. Um, Geralt and D- Dandelion get in more scrapes because of their dicks than anything else. <laughs> Good. Uh, so Geralt and Renfri bang. Um, Geralt wakes up and hears from villagers that Renfrey is making commotion out in the town. She tells them, she, and that's like, this was all that exposition about the lesser evil. Mm-hmm. She gives them all this, like, this is your first of your very, your many um, psychology experiments or philosophy debates about, you know, what, what is really the lesser evil. Um, he, uh, he realizes then, after hearing this, that her plan, he tr- that she tricked him, and her plan was to just murder people in the town in order to lure St- uh, Stregobor out. Uh, so he goes back to town and is immediately attacked by one of the dwarves um, and lays out all seven of said dwarves. That's a neat. That's a neat alliteration there. Is this so? Or, is this a weird word, and yeah. odd retelling of Snow White? It is an odd retelling of Snow White. Whoa! Yeah. Ding, ding. yeah. Whoa. Renfri is Snow White in this story, and uh, the Huntsman is Stregobor. Whoa! Yep. That's super interesting. It's it's really cool, and they do this, and he does this time and time again, and this is why I love. Like I think the anthologies themselves are just worth a read, just as isolated stories, because they are they are. I would say all save for like one of them are incredibly cool reads. Cool. Yeah. So he uh, he fights the he fights off the seven dwarves and uh, Renfri, as she does in the show. Uh, it challenges him to a duel and they fight. They have a really sexy fight in the middle of the city <laughs> streets. Uh, and he kills her because this is where, again, this is the first, like we get a lot of information about Geralt's fighting. And this is the first we see Geralt fighting other people. And Geralt is a very good, a very adept swordsman. He's a very agile fighter. He can take on a lot of dudes, no problem. And uh, he, he basically easily kills them. 
um, Streg's old Streg's comes out and says, and uh, wants to take the body and examine her for that to, you know, to understand the curse more. And Geralt refuses because he doesn't really like love Renfri, but he has some sort of connection to her, even though like he didn't want to kill her. Like he was defending himself and defending the people. Yeah. Um, so Geralt refuses and like, no, get out of here, you spook. And instead, Stregobor turns the entire town against him and uh, has them throw rocks at him, thereby labeling him, say it with me, the, the butcher power of, of friendship. <laughs> Wait, it God wasn't the it. power of friendship? <laughs> Shit. Uh, nice. Nicely done. So that's, that's Geralt's origin story. That's why Geralt doesn't get involved in the, the, the affairs of men. Um, all people are out for their own, their own gain, Everyone's a dick, you know. It's just everything is nothing is black and white. Every um, everyone will turn on you. At the everyone will turn on you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that that's really important to understanding his character. And uh, this and this is again, this is your episode one of the show. It's pretty much identical. Um, there really aren't. They didn't take a lot of liberties on this one. Um, they they ne- needed a reason to bring Stregobor back, so they do bring him back in some of the Eratusa stuff. But again, it's just he just disappears. We won't we won't see him again. Cool. That's good because he super sucks. Yeah. He sucks. He sucks. Uh, a big old big old dick. Okay. Um, next we have a question of price. So this is episode four. Okay. We, we start with Geralt attending a banquet in Sintra. Uh, Geralt is seated next to Queen Calanth, the current ruler of Sintra, the lioness of Sintra. Um, we're also introduced to a couple other major players at Sintra's court. Uh, in addition to Calanth, we've got Iced Tursich, who is the Jarl of Skellige. Um, a Jarl you may remember from Skyrim as a Viking leader. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he's the guy seated next to Calanth in the show. He's kind of got like a smug grin on his face all the time. Gotcha. That's that's Iced Tersich. And that's, that's the one that she marries in the show, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Good memory. Um, we've got Malsak the Druid, who you mentioned that we talked about him. Uh, Krach on Crate, who uh, is in the show very briefly. He Again, he's like a 15-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. He's the heir to Skellige Islands after Tersich. And then uh, most importantly in this story, we've got Pavetta. Pavetta is Kalant's daughter. Mm. Um this banquet is Pavetta's engagement ceremony. Pavetta has been uh, said or has been engaged to Krach Uncrate to uh, combine the the families of Skellige and Sintra together, cementing their alliance. And Geralt's there. Uh, Geralt was brought in as a bouncer, basically, in case shit goes down. He kind of puts two and two together. Mm-hmm. But again, we just heard that Geralt doesn't give a shit about the affairs of men. He doesn't want to fight people. He just wants to fight monsters. He doesn't care about any of this crap. So he's just kind of there, like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and shit goes down. Because so, like, it wasn't going to be a nice ceremony. Because, yeah. because of course, it wasn't going to be a nice ceremony. Um, like I said, Pavetta is supposed to be wed to Krach, but a mysterious visitor arrives saying he is owed, uh, he is owed Pavetta by the Law of Surprise. So he is calling his favor in the Law of Surprise. He calls himself Dooney, the Urchin of Erlenwald. Um, he appears in full plate armor, like a full, like closed helm, um, and uh, and says that basically he he reveals to Queen Calanth that he saved her late husband's what a life, and uh, the king promised him the law of surprise. You know, he enacted yeah. the law of surprise. In this case, was you know what you do not know, yada yada yada. Um, and Calanth's like, fuck that, I don't care. You're, my my husband was a 
piece of shit or whatever was a weakling. Calanth is very much like her name is Linus for a reason. She's very much like she she's a little loose cannon, um, and she's the reason why Sintra has kind of isolated themselves and and through her actions and in you know she has good intentions. She's trying to protect her people, but through her actions, she has allowed Nilfgaard to to uh, attack them. The Dooney uh, takes off his helmet and shows everyone sees he has a hedgehog head. Yeah, it's a hedgehog head. That's, yep, spiky. Which head. is which, weird nose. Yeah, yeah, which is which is neat. Um, he says he was cursed as a young child, and uh, it just every day he's just a hedgehog. Um, <laughs> uh, Wake but, up in the morning feeling like a hedgehog. But does <laughs> does he gotta go fast? Uh, I was looking for <laughs> that joke. He gotta. He got He got to go fast, but unfortunately, unfortunately, he can't go fast because Calanth has the guards uh, try to kill him, and he fights off a bunch of guards, and then this whole brawl ensues, and Geralt <laughs> hops in, and he, they're just kind of fighting and whatever, and uh, Pavetta stops everything, and, and she uh, she starts screaming and is like, no, like she reveals that they have a relationship, so she's met Dooney before, and they they kiss and they have a relationship, and she says, I want to marry Dooney, um, so she she wants this to happen. Calanth stops everything. And and then tries to and like walks up to Dooney and then tries to stab him, and that's when shit goes nuts. So Pavetta like screams and the whole room erupts in like this magical energy. Her eyes turn like light blue, and there's like this like powerful wind. And in the show, everyone's like blown back to the sides, the edges of the room, while like Pavetta and Dooney are like suspended in the mid in midair. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty it's, cool image. It's a really um, really cool mm-hmm. part of the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super neat. Yeah, so this is us introducing. This is our intro, our first introduction to the elder blood. Um, so, and we'll we'll get more about that. But this is this is kind of you know planting the seeds that eventually this power that Siri has is is just uncontrollable and and could you know can move mountains basically. Um, Geralt intervenes and uh, is able to calm Pavetta down and saves Dooney's life. Dooney thanks him and asks, asks him what he owes him. And again, this is a really like, what a great move by Henry Cavill. He delivers this line so well. Geralt responds with the law of surprise, like as a joke. Yeah. Because again, like Geralt does not believe in any of this shit. Right. Like, he is over, he is over destiny. He's over the law of surprise. He's over Witcher, all that stuff. And, uh, and then it's revealed that Pavetta is muy pregante. <laughs> Oh, oh, bummer. And everyone's like, oh, fuck. Wow. Um, so this is this is half of episode four. Um, biggest difference is Dandelion wasn't there. Yeah. He wasn't. They needed a reason for Dandelion to be there because, it, again, linear linear narrative. So, yeah. Yeah. Because they gave us toss a coin to your Witcher in episode three. And they uh-huh. said, how can we bring this back in episode four? Which brings us to the end of the world, otherwise known as episode three. Let's do what it. Gonna say, Kyle. Oh, I was just gonna say. They also, I'm, I'm fine with them forcing Dandelion into more episodes because yeah. the show yeah. would be a huge bummer without him. Otherwise, because yeah, I, it's pretty. Heavy. I totally agree. I totally agree, and it, and it makes Geralt's brashness a little more tolerable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he evens everything out, and it's he does. It's, it's very easy. He super does. He's the right, and he's it's good. He's a very good character to have, and that and that's true to his character too. Because Geralt, like Geralt, gets real fucking emo later in the yeah. story. Like it gets bad. Like when when Geralt, because right now we still have like cool, unfeeling Geralt who doesn't give a shit about anybody. 
But like once we get to the point where Geralt has that connection with Siri and he's like searching for her and he's trying to find his daughter, basically, he gets super sad and emo. And the only person that can bring him out of those depths is Dandelion, yes. which is cool. It's a cool part of their relationship that, you know, continues. Yeah, I want to like give credit where credit is due to the Netflix casters, too, because everybody yep. who is cast in this is really good. I just had yeah. to look. Uh, Yaskier is some guy named Joey Beatty who I'd never heard of, but he's really good. He's, and he's excellent. Just honestly, like. Some of the Netflix shows, the casting tends to be what really misses the mark for them, mm -hmm. I I feel. And I don't feel that way at all about this yeah, show. Yeah, I think they nailed this. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I think Yennefer is an interesting play, but it makes sense for what they're going for. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we've got the end of the world. End of the world is kind of boring. There's not a whole lot here. This is our introduction to Dandelion. In the book, this is like, oh, my first adventure with Dandelion. Um <laughs> They're they're looking for Witcher work, um, and they end up in the sticks, like the far reaches of, of civilization, yeah. middle of nowhere. Because, like I said before, you know all these cities are popping up, and there are no monsters in the cities. They're all they're all running away. So they have to. So Geralt kind of like has to stick to these real boondocky t villages, right? And like the farther the the farther out from civilization, the greasier the peasant. As it ha as in the real world. <laughs> as exactly um so he sees a bill for hunting a devil and it's spelled like d-e-v-o-u-l or something like that um and and a bunch of stuff happens and they it's revealed that the devil is actually a sylvan which is an intelligent kind of fake creature so uh comparable to um like a satyr yes. in greek mythology he's philatites yep. aka yes. danny devito this character yep. is danny devito Basically, Danny DeVito um, does and, not appear in the Netflix series The Witcher for anyone who has not watched it yet at home. <laughs> <laughs> not and yet, uh, you know, he hasn't, Kyle. Not uh, yet. Recurring, a recurring theme is Geralt doesn't kill intelligent creatures, so he tries to trick it into leaving, and he kind of succeeds, but is interrupted by a third party. Um, that third party is a band of rebel elves who tie up Geralt and Dandelion. Um, the rebel elves smash Dandelion's loot. They threaten to kill him. Um, but like Geralt is able to, Geralt kind of like goads them. This is like Geralt's tied up a lot in this series. Like he's, <laughs> he gets captured a hell of a lot of times and he always like is able to kind of like navigate his way out of it. Like he's, he's the guy in the D and D party who's constantly doing intimidation checks and always succeeding. <laughs> <laughs> like he, like he, he was tied up and rolled a 20 in intimidation. And while he was tied up, he convinced one of the people to like lean in close and then head butted him. <laughs> it's like really good. Um, and they, they kind of get in a little bit of a brawl and it's interrupted by the mysterious lady of the fields who appeared earlier as a human. Again, it doesn't really matter. She's the one that kind of set them on this journey. Um, the elves are led by a man named Philandriel who is in the show. Um, and they kind of, they talk, they do more, more philosophy one-on-one shit and everyone parts ways. Um, Geralt, there's a, there's a line that I wanted to write this in. Uh, Phil Evandriel, like, they kind of have this, like, you know, rivalry kind of relationship and at least, like, tenuous relationship. And, and Geralt's like, hey, you can punch Dandelion in the gut if you want. And he does. This <laughs> 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 is really funny. Um, so, again, this isn't super important. It's in episode two. This is our introduction to uh, Dandelion, Yaskir. Um, we don't we don't get anything about the Lady of the Field, which is kind of dumb. It's irrelevant. Um, it's just showing the dynamic of Geralt and Dandelion, but it's also showing how Geralt empathizes with the elves, and and that's that's a really 
kind of interesting underlying theme with the elves is they're the displaced natives, right? And everyone sees them as monsters, as terrorists, as savages. I Go ahead, I saw this headline before I watched the show, so I wasn't clear on all the details when I read it. Um, there was something about the, whatever the, like, organization of native, of indigenous people from Iceland commended the show for its portrayal hmm. of the elves, basically. Like, the, that's a direct parallel, I guess, to yes, that. it absolutely and, is, yeah. And they, they commend, they, like, made a point to commend hmm. the series or Netflix or something for, like, this portrayal. And Netflix worked with them to make sure they didn't do anything you know, out of sorts in regards hmm. to that. So that's cool. That's a very, yeah. yeah. That's a pretty big theme to Geralt's character is he empathizes with the elves time and time again. Yeah. And, and so much so that he'll tell other people to be like, cause, cause humans are fear are afraid of elves. Right. Especially because of uh, that faction, the Scoia'tael. Um, cause they, they just attack humans cause they hate humans so much. And most people are afraid of them and, and hate them. And Geralt is one of the few like sympathizers. Yeah. So um, this also is the episode where the toss a coin to your witcher is introduced and gets stuck in your head it's, for the rest of the show. It lives yeah. there now. It lives there yeah. now. Rent free in our heads. So goddamn good. All right. And then that brings us to the most important story here, which is the last wish, of course. Um, so the last wish is our introduction to Yennefer. This is your episode five. Um, last wish is our introduction to Yennefer. So it starts with Geralt and Dandelion are fishing and Dandelion, as he does, old pulls buddies. up an old, the old buddies like they are, <laughs> um, Dandelion fishes up an old bottle sealed with a magical emblem. Um, Dandelion gets really excited because he re- recognizes this as, uh, containing or could contain a magical genie to, to, uh, to grant his three wishes. And this is, this is very much an analog to your 40, uh, Arabian Nights. Um, Dandelion is eager to open it, but Geralt tries to stop him. He's unsuccessful. Dandelion cracks it open and quickly spouts off two wishes. And it's like he does in the show. He's like, I wish so-and-so is the worst bar or whatever. I wish I could be better than blah. You know, it's like really selfish shit because it's Dandelion. Of course. Um, and instead of doing any of those things, the the, the jinn in this in this world, it's they're called a, a jinn. Or Jin, I think. Jin. Um, Jin. Yeah. D J I N N. Um, instead of granting any wishes, it just this red mist comes out of the bottle and starts fighting, strangling Dandelion. Um, <laughs> Bummer. So yeah. So whoops. Uh oh. Dandelion's in another scrape again. Uh, Geralt is able to quickly grab the seal and he mutters some sort of like some like low key incantation and is able to you know kind of like uh, away. Kind of like what do you call it? Like get it, get get the spirit it. to go away. Dispels yeah, dispel the spirit. Yeah, thank you. Um, but uh oh, Dandelion's lost his voice um, in that in that attack, and he's he's in pretty bad shape. So Geralt takes Dandelion uh, down to the town to see the their local healer. Um, the local healer says he can't do much. He needs help from a mage. Um, and magic, much like the Footloose town and dancing, um, magic is more or less outlawed here for whatever reason. <laughs> That's, well, they need, that's they the, need the Witcher, you they need the Witcher Kevin Bacon to come and teach them <laughs> their, of their ways. Kevin of the School of Bacon. <laughs> um, 
So uh, magic, yeah, magic is kind of outlawed, but there is a sorceress, a sorceress who has been operating kind of outside of the law on the fringes, and uh, she happens to be holed up in the estate of some rich merchant. But as the healer warns, she is very dangerous. So Geralt says, fuck that, and makes his way directly to the estate. <laughs> yep. Um, because he don't care and finds everyone is either like super asleep, like just like passed out asleep, or uh, the, the, the owner of the mansion is just kind of parading around naked, uh, straight up wasted drunk. Yes. As one does. Which they kind of they kind of give you something like that in the series. They give you they give, they super do, yeah. 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 Every, everybody needs a chance to be naked wasted. Yep, that's right, that's right. And then we're introduced, this is our, for the first time, we're introduced to Yennefer Wengerberg. She's there in all her glory, and Geralt's like, damn, girl, he's mad thirsty. That's what I have in my notes. That's damn, exactly girl, he mad thirsty. Two I's, three U's, three yep. R's in damn, girl, for yep. for everyone keeping score at home. Playing <laughs> so, Scrabble. Uh, this is... This is that offhanded remark when Geralt's, ex- Geralt's describing Yennefer. He says something like, she probably had a hunchback or something. Okay. And and this is where, again, like, I've said this a, a few times now, the, the book never gives her backstory. This is also where Geralt infers or, or suggests that she's way older than him, which, according to the show, is not the case, which, like, fair enough. That's fine. I don't really care. Is the author of the book's... Did he consult on the show, or did he just gotta yes. give his stamp of approval? Yes, okay. he he was he was moderately involved. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we can we can like trust the stuff that when they say it's canon, we can trust he he was involved in. I I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything to be here as fan fiction. I would take everything here is is legitimate. Okay, now. so, um, but again, like these stories were written never with the intention to have Yennefer as such a major character. Gotcha. Or at least, at least to play the role that she ends up playing. Gotcha. So, um, okay, what do we got here? Uh, yeah, so Yennefer is, again, Yennefer is not a good person. She's not morally just. She's not loyal. She's very cunning. She's She's kind of just, like, having fun. She's basically set up this, like, eternal recess for herself right like she's she's got this pleasure palace that she's that she's made and she's like hypnotized the entire she's basically terrorizing this town like everyone's terrified of her terrorizing um, but with sex <laughs> yeah yeah totally with with hor with with uh very scary very sexy sex putting putting everyone <laughs> in horny terror yeah. <laughs> Horny terror is a very consistent thread when it comes to sorcerers and sorceresses. Yeah. Um she so she she's kind of like toying with Geralt, but he reveals that it was a it was the work of a jinn, a jinn, and she's like, "Oh, a jinn, you say? Well, I guess I will do it." So she accepts the request to heal Dandelion. She puts Dandelion to sleep and then they take a bath. As one does. Yeah. As quote unquote take a bath. Does. Um, this is also where we're introduced to lilac and lilac and gooseberries. That's that's Yennefer's signature signature uh, fragrance. Um, Geralt and Geralt gets super turned on anytime he smells lilac and gooseberries. How how long until Netflix sells a a lilac and gooseberries fragrance? A tie-in oh, I'm fragrance. I'm sure it exists Gross. already. Not long I'm enough. I'm sure it Kyle. exists already. Um, there's also the, the, the stuffed unicorn. That's a fun nod. Yeah, they as well. bone they bone on a stuffed unicorn. Yeah. What really? <laughs> yeah. Um they do a lot of they do a lot of weird weird sex stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um 
anyway, <laughs> so so Geralt uh, Geralt leaves from his bath and uh, goes back to. He's staying at the local tavern. He meets up with that healer again, who tells him that reminds him that Yennefer is not to be trusted. Which like, okay, we get it, man. Um, she summons Geralt back to her chamber and brings up the question of price, um, and that's the. Is that the name of the story, or is it? I think it's actually the name is a question of price. Sorry, I might mess that up. Doesn't matter. Um, Garrett wants to make sure before they talk about price. Wants to, Garrett wants to make sure Dandelion is safe because he's still passed out. He's still in a coma, um, but she refuses and reveals that he is trapped. And Geralt passes out. So that's that. That's where they bring in the lilac and gooseberries. She uses that as a kind of like a charm spell. Uh, almost. Mm. Ah. Um, Geralt wakes up in a cell several hours later with uh, two thieves, an old man, and the healer before, all uh, looking, staring down at him. Uh, the healer explains to Geralt that he was arrested for his rampage throughout the town last night. Oopsie um, daisy. Appa- Whoops. <laughs> apparently, uh, Apparently, Geralt went and physically assaulted anyone who had ever given Yennefer problems in the past, um, going so far as spanking the local apothecary nice. in the middle of the street. There's that horrifying <laughs> sexiness we were talking yeah. about. Good old <laughs> right, horny exactly. terror. Yeah. Yeah. The horny terror uh, of Henry Cavill <laughs> spanking a grown man in the streets. There's the That's the episode title, The Horny yeah. Terror of Henry Cavill. Of Henry Cavill. <laughs> Somebody write that down. Uh, a, uh, a guard eventually comes down to taunt Geralt in the cell and uh, just starts beating him straight up. Um, Geralt, as he does, as he's known to do, uh, tries to goad him further by saying something along the lines is uh, he wished the guard would burst and then the guard's head explodes. Oh, yes. <laughs> which is pretty which is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, it's very um, cool. So Geralt's about to be taken out to be hung because, you know, he just straight up murdered a dude. And uh, Dandelion appears. This is where it's a little different from the, the episode recount in the show. Um, Dandelion appears through a portal, uh, just kind of yelling that the Witcher is innocent. So we know that Dandelion's okay. Hooray. Um, and he's, he's yelling, I'm using the last of my three wishes to free Geralt. Like he's exclaiming this. <laughs> um, but nothing happens. And, uh, and the reason why this all this is happening is, is going on is Yennefer is trying to capitalize on dandelion using his last wish as a way to capture the jinn um except she doesn't and the jinn appears but starts just wrecking shit all over town and yennefer so this is yennefer's plan was she's gonna she was gonna capture the jinn as a source of magical energy she wanted to capture the jinn to harness it to be the most powerful sorceress um not a very noble goal again very selfish selfish ends um Geralt kind of puts two and two together and realizes that he, Dandelion was not the master, rather Geralt was. And after realizing that the djinn is not going away, Geralt recounts the, the last couple events in his head and realizes that the, the djinn was listening to him. Geralt's first wish was that incantation that he spoke to make the djinn go away. The second wish was blowing up the guard's head. So Geralt jumps through the portal to go rescue Yennefer. Um, and he's going to do so by using his last wish, AKA or IE the last wish. Uh, um, he does. The, and he does. He gets rid of the Jin, the titular last wish. Uh, he gets rid of the Jin for good, just in the nick of time. And they bang as they do. As um, one does. question. Does anybody know what Geralt's wish was? I don't think, Oh, I know in the show they don't, mention it like they or they say like you know they don't say what it was yeah i don't um i don't know i definitely figured like i figured it was uh uh like i want to uh, my path 
want I want my path to continue to intertwine with this person. Cause like yeah. I didn't think it was like a I wish for her to love me. I figured it was more of a like no. I want to I want this person to be a continued plot point in my life. Well, and we know yeah. in the third well, again, my context is third Witcher, mm-hmm. like the the penultimate quest with Yennefer is like dispatching that djinn mm-hmm. oh that that quest is so good and so satisfying oh yeah I, lo- I love that quest that's like your last chance where you're like are you choosing yennefer or are you choosing tris and i was like hell yeah yennefer like this is yeah. awesome yeah it's it's very good you fight on like a pirate ship in the sky or something mm-hmm. like that it's it's so it's so it's actually beautiful yeah. i love it i love it so much um so Geralt's wish was for he and Yennefer to be bound together forever. Oh. So the, and the reason for that, it was it was his way of tricking the djinn into not killing Yennefer, but also kind of going away. Because Yennefer is trying to channel the djinn's power into her. Into her. Um, he knew that he couldn't convince Yennefer to stop. And he knew that he couldn't, there wasn't another way to make the djinn go away and not make Yennefer go after it. So he, by wishing that they were bound together, it wasn't necessarily, like you said, Matt, wasn't wishing for her to love him. It was for their fates to be bound. Right. Um, sure. Which would, which would, you know, prevent the djinn from killing her because the djinn wasn't going to kill Geralt. It was his master. Right. Did they ever explain why the, the djinn was mastered by Geralt and not Dandelion or Yaskier? It's just, it's just Geralt was the one who opened the bottle. It. They, they, they're kind of like it's it's purposely vague like they're kind of fighting over it because they want you to they wants you to think that dandelion was yeah 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 it could probably be explained by like who actually opened the bottle like whatever it doesn't yep. it doesn't matter sure yeah it, it ultimately doesn't um so this is told in episode five um pretty well i i think the the one detail that the one thing that kind of turned me off this is such a minor complaint but um in the show Geralt is purposefully fishing for a jinn like yeah. for a magic bottle, they make a which reason. like, yeah, I was like, that's unnecessary. Someone like, told I kind of like it's just someone told me yeah. a gin is in this lake and I'm having trouble yeah. sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, OK. And that just. Well, they really play off yeah. like the he's grumpy and like yeah. I'm going to fix my grumpiness by sleeping. And Dandelion's like, right. no, we're fishing. I now. wonder if that's a thread yeah. they'll explore later. The like why he wasn't sleeping thing. Or- he. Well, it was their, I'll tell you why. It was their attempt to build in, to, to back build all of the Siri stuff. Oh, okay. Because, oh, because yeah. remember, Siri is not mentioned. Siri yes. doesn't exist yet. Yes. Right. Yeah. Siri is never mentioned until Sword of Destiny. And, and that's all the stuff with the Law of Surprise, the Child of Surprise. They're trying to backfill that a little bit more to make him feel like guilty. Geralt does go, does do all those things. Like Geralt, Spends a lot of time thinking about Siri and thinking about Sintra, just not yet. Gotcha. That's really interesting because, like, when I was watching the show, I assumed it was not Siri that was keeping him up at night, but it was Renfrey. Like, it was some callback of like his his first love of Renfrey and wanting mm. to um, like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind her out of his brain. Um, it might, I mean, maybe my take, my interpretation, which I don't think they make it, they kind of keep it vague. My interpretation is that was him being guilty for not checking, like for basically like he thought he Check felt like he abandoned, he yeah. abandoned Pavetta's child, which sure. he didn't, you know, he didn't, who he didn't know at the time. Cool. But, 
All right. So that's the last wish. So question before we move on, because I think you're mm -hmm. did the this book, I'm guessing, didn't have any of the stuff about Yennefer wanting the Jin to repair to return her to make her not sterile anymore. Yep, good call out. Yeah, that we don't get into that until Sword of Destiny. Um, okay. She doesn't reveal any of that yet. She wanted. She just wants the Jin um, for 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 great power. Okay, but it it does come out in the next book. It does, okay. and that let's take a we'll take a brief pause here because I do want to talk a little bit more about Yennefer's story in the show. I think this is a good point to do that. So I mentioned already a lot of the show stuff is. Original Can we take content. a pause? Pause. I oh yeah, definitely have yeah. to pee. Yeah, yeah. Like, I also me too. To and I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some water as well. All right, and now we're back. We So before the break, we talked about The Last Wish, which is the first of the two anthologies that the series is based on. Now we're going to cover Sword of Destiny. Um, I want to note that Sword of Destiny chronologically takes place after The Last Wish, but it's kind of weird. It was published first for whatever reason. Um, because of that, most of the stories in Sword of Destiny actually aren't relevant to the canon. A lot of these are even more isolated than The Last Wish ones. Um, the Last Wish kind of like recontextualize recontextualize a lot of the Sword of Destiny stuff. Um, that said, I think this is probably my favorite of the store of the books. Um, even in the novels, I think Sword of Destiny is the best. It just it just has the most interesting ideas and coolest like explorations uh, uh, of isolated stories. Um, and and really, I think what really leads with this book is the first one here called The Bounds of Reason. Um, so this one is in the show. This is uh, episode uh, five. No, I think it's episode six. Episode five was just the one with the Yes, gym. sorry, I wrote that wrong. It's episode six. Okay. Um, the Bounds of Reason oh, is yeah. another, another uh, piece that's kind of delving into Geralt's character, why, again, why he does what he does, why he believes the things he believes. Um, Geralt meets a charismatic adventurer named Borch Three Jackdaws. Which <laughs> what is a name. good name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, who's accompanied by his bodyguards. These are two female Zeracanian warriors. Um, we don't really know what Zeracania is at this point. It's the Far East, basically. It's your analog, like, it's your, your Africa or even, like, Asia analog, basically. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying BTJ. Uh, BTJ wants Geralt to join him on his hunting party. Um, and uh, Geralt, or he asks him, like, would you kill a dragon? Like, as a, again, as a philo philosophical experiment. Geralt says no, because dragons, one, are nearly extinct, and two, mm -hmm. are intelligent creatures and are not monsters. They do not attack people. People hunt dragons for their treasure. And and uh, BTJ's like, sweet, you're, you're legit. Let's hang out for a while. So they hang out for a while, um, and they, they leave town and are quickly stopped at the border of the next town over where, surprise, Dandelion's there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Hanging Yay! out. laughs> uh, Dandelion, as he does, informs Geralt of all the exposition. And uh, he's, your, he's your traveling poet and exposition hound. And uh, he explains that the local king has been paying travelers to slay a dragon, a green dragon that's been terrorizing the village. So just coincidental that uh, three borch your Borch Three Jackdaws appeared asking about dragons. BTJ. Um, yeah. BTJ. No one's remembering uh, that name. <laughs> oh, I'm remembering Three Jackdaws for the rest of Yeah, my I life. got that part. Yeah. Because yeah. Three Jackdaws is the next DJ of the Fallout universe. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, well done on that. Um, Thanks. So, uh, all this time, they're talking about dragons as though dragons are a myth. 
Um, dragons, most people don't believe that dragons exist. Geralt knows they exist, um, but believes that, but says that gold dragons specifically are a myth. And we'll, well, that'll be important a little bit later. Um, so they hear this story. This village has been terrorized by this green dragon. Um, the, the villagers attempted to fight back against this dragon by essentially baiting it to eat a dead ship, dead sheep that was stuffed with poison and, and like herbs and all kinds of like magical shit. Um, so this dragon has been like coming back, but it's, well, I take that back. The dragon was attacking and they poisoned it. And now they want to check and make sure the green dragon is dead. Um, but no, but everyone's too afraid to like go to its den to, to, to find it. Sure. Um, Geralt thinks this story is weird because dragons don't usually hunt humans. Again, it's the other way around. Um, and he doesn't really want to hunt this dragon. So he says no. Um, we see another hunting party being led by one of the local knights in town. Um, he's also accompanied by some mercenaries called, calling themselves the Crinfield Reavers, um, a dwarf named Yarpin Zigrin, and by a sorceress, Yennefer of Vengerberg. Oh, ding. Geralt now wants to hunt this dragon. <laughs> Player, yes, I will hunt this dragon, and it is that quick of a turn. He suddenly has a banner. It says, like, big dragon hunting fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so so our band of misfits journey on in search of the dragon. Um, Geralt, again, don't really give a shit about the dragon, but he's only concerned about talking to Yennefer. Um, and then this is, where, this is where the timeline starts to branch off a little bit. So in this story, this is four years later from The Last Wish. Mm. And they had been living together, and it's implied that they had been living together, and things went pretty much undocumented until, remember I mentioned Season of Storms, that kind of weird, like, Similarian yes. entry? Yes, yeah. So that's where, that's where Season of Storms comes in. So Season of Storms chronologically takes place between these two books and recounts Geralt and Xenifer's, like, four years living together. Gotcha. Sure. Um, again, marginally unexciting. <laughs> um, so they continue on in awkward silence. Um, she eventually reveals that she wants to kill the dragon because the dragon's tissue has healing properties that could hopefully cure her infertility. Um, Geralt disagrees with that. Um, oh, I started mentioning, and I think I interrupted myself, in the Netflix show, um, there is a, a very graphic scene in episode two or three, I think it's three, where Yennefer it undergoes her transformation, quote yep. unquote. Again, none of that, that's all original content. They're trying to make more of her infertility more of a thing. In the books, the infertility is more of an assumed thing, which is why it makes sense that she's trying to find a cure. Infertility is linked to magic use. So just like with mm. the witchers, because the witches are sterile, uh, sorcerers and sorceresses are also sterile because of their their connection to the chaos energy, the magic. Um, in the show, Yennefer goes and undergoes an actual like surgery, mm -hmm. like a, again a very grisly surgery yeah. to remove her uterus as a way to channel magic. Um, yeah, it's which like is a straight a, up like cervectomy or whatever they call it. Yeah, it was some like Full Metal Alchemist shit, which I'm like obviously here for, but uh, yeah, a little bit different. It was, so it, again, it, it was intense. It, yeah, was. it was intense. Do not, AF. do not watch that scene with your parents. Mm -mm. Or like on an airplane no, sir, going back no, to Colorado. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Um, so again, not super important, but good context for how they're building Yennefer's character. They're making the infertility thing a much bigger focus. Um, okay, where was I? So they to talk about curing her infertility. Um, so they're going along this journey. The journey itself is is mostly unremarkable. There's an avalanche that separates Geralt and Yennefer from the rest of the team. Um, at one point, uh, BTJ, 
um, and the Zerkanians disappear. Um, Geralt saves him and Yennefer, and they eventually catch up with the rest of the group. So they've kind of patched things up, as so to speak. Um, at the top of the mountain, they finally encountered the fabled golden dragons. So not only are dragons real, but golden dragons are real. Um, something until recently they only believed were in fairy tales. Um, one by one, the the knights and then the reavers try to like the well the the knight. So the knight that's like leading the party tries to fight the dragon, but he gets owned like real quick he gets knocked out like a chump and then the crins the crinfield reavers and the knights are fighting each other over who gets to kill the dragon and claim the treasure um shit kind of like everyone just like explodes into a brawl and uh you know Geralt's like fighting against the reavers and trying to like or he's fighting alongside Yarpin and the dwarves Yennefer then turns on everyone well turns on Geralt and the dwarves and paralyzes them all um with magic and then has the reavers tie him and Dandelion up along with the knights um and Yarpin um then the reavers turn on Yennefer and try to rape her but the dragon intervenes and burns them all to a crisp. Um, the Crinfield Reavers are not important at all, save for there's one really cool nod in Witcher 2, where, remember I said, like, when the games first came out, they were built or they were created without the need of um, having any of the context for the stories. But the games constantly reward you for, for with little for nods and, and lore beats nice. for knowing the stories of the books. Gotcha. And one of the coolest... Uh, inclinations of that is at the beginning of Witcher 2 you are talking to a a man who introduces himself as one of the Crinfield Reavers and he's super nice and and you know easygoing is like oh hey Geralt yeah remember remember me we know each other and remember at the time Geralt still has has his memory lost so he's like Geralt's like oh yeah well (laughs) if you as the player uh don't know that the Crinfield Reaver guy is bad Oh, yeah. Because you wouldn't know that from it. You are just like, yeah, cool. I'll believe you. But if you as the player know not to trust him, mm. you can you can basically opt to know that he's not like know that he's a bad guy and not trust him. And you are rewarded in the form of a quest reward, which nice. is really oh, cool. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played all three games, Andrew? Yeah, I, I did not finish the first game because you have to click a mouse to swing your sword, and it's the worst. <laughs> oh, but no. I, yeah, it's really bad. It plays like ass. Um, I played through half of the first game. I played through all of the second game, and obviously the third game. And had you read any of the books at that point? I had. Okay. Nice. Continue. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got... So that's, so that's the little uh, fight with the dragon. Um the dragon saves Yennefer's life and she's like, okay, I guess I won't try to kill you now. And it's revealed that the dragon wasn't protecting a treasure, but rather a baby. Um, the golden dragon was protecting the baby of the green dragon who was poisoned by the villagers. Um, re- meanwhile, the villagers of the town arrive to finish the job to kill the dragon once and form once and outright. Um, but Yennefer and Geralt team up to fight them back and chase away their villagers to protect the golden dragon. Um, the dragon introduces himself as Villain Trentimirth. Villain Trentimirth. And returns to his human form, i.e. Borch 3 Jackdaws. Yeah. Uh, I called this so far out when we were watching the yeah. show, and I felt nice. so good about it. Uh, I felt so yeah. good about it. Borch is such a badass. Uh, he says he sees why Geralt and Yennefer are meant for each other, but that nothing will come of their union, which is a pretty rough thing to hear. Ooh, yeah. And uh, also that Yennefer will never cure her, never cure her infidelity. Bad day for Yennefer. Or, no. But I say infidelity, Jesus, infertility, Jesus. 
<laughs> also, ne- never cure her infidelity. Um, I say here, Birch is, Borch is still a solid bro, and they fist bump, and he flies away. <laughs> so this is pretty similar in episode six, save for the ending. Um, obviously, it's cut down quite a bit. This is a really long story. It's probably the longest of the two books. Um, the biggest difference here is how, again, how this falls in the linear timeline. This is not four years after The Last Wish. This is just the next episode. So Geralt and Yen go their separate ways after this adventure, um, not because, well, they're arguing not because of The Last Wish, but because of the last four years. And they go their separate ways after this in because of the fallout from the next story instead of what Three Borch Jackdaw says. Gotcha. Got it. Um, because in the TV show, he says that they'll never be together and reveals the last wish, and Yennefer gets mad about it. Yennefer doesn't know about it. Um, it's just important note. Um, so the next couple stories are pretty non-consequential. Um, we've got A Shard of Ice, which is just more information, more color about why Geralt and Yennefer do not work. Um, so after the the dragon hunt, they go back, they have reconnected, they go back and try to live together. And they're in this like podunk town. Geralt's, um, Yennefer is bored of these backwater towns, but this is the only place where Geralt can find work, which is just eerily, eerily realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts. Man, that yeah. feels real bad. Yeah. Um, Yennefer is plotting some scheme. Again, okay, remember too, everything is told from Geralt's perspective. So Geralt gets super, Geralt learns about this weird, about this local wizard, Istrad. Yennefer's been seeing him a lot, gets, starts getting jealous, yada, yada, yada. Um, Geralt eventually agrees to duel Istred for her love. So they're Good. both like in love with Yennefer. Perfect. Um, and at this point, Yennefer's like, fuck both of you, and <laughs> writes a letter to both of them saying that she's leaving. So she's kind of like tricked them into getting to in the same place to tell them both that she's leaving both of them. Good. Um, again, all of this is to, it's to illustrate how they aren't willing to change their lives in order to be together. And that's why the end of The Last Wish in Witcher 3 is such a satisfying ending because the difference is Geralt's, Geralt's character growth. Geralt has done everything he wants to do and all he wants to do is retire and be with Yennefer. But mm-hmm. at this point in his life, he still feels like there's stuff he has to do. Yep. Gotcha. Sure. That'll, that'll make a lot more sense once I play Witcher 3, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, this isn't in the, the series at all, but Istred is actually a character. Um, again, he's the the black sorcerer in uh, Yennefer's Eretuza timeline. Gotcha. Got that little story. Oh, okay. Um, but he doesn't appear again. He doesn't appear again. So he he never goes to Nilfgaard. Like none of that. That's that's all. You know, them just trying to make more one-off characters uh, stand out. Um, Eternal Flame is uh, the introduction of Dudu the Doppler. <laughs> Which when <laughs> I met him in Witcher Three, I was like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, so this is an interesting one. Dudu is a, is a curious character. Um, so Dopplers is another example of intelligent species that are rare. Most people think they're fables, but uh, most people also want them dead because people are terrified of Dopplers because yeah. they can turn in other people. Dopplers are chain or shapeshifters. Um, Dopplers are not monsters, and this is one thing I didn't love from the series um dopplers are just another race of people but they make they they use a doppler now it's not doo-doo in the show but i think there's a part where um kahir who's in the nilfgaard army in uh pays like a pays a doppler yep. to um mm-hmm. what does he look like mouse sack to trick siri yeah 
which like none of that happens. That's all original stuff. Like, and that's the Siri timeline, which we'll talk about. Um, but like Doppler's that Doppler is shown to be like a like a monster zombie man. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to be like that. I whatever. I, it's fine. I get what they're going for. Um, Judy is just like this like happy go lucky, fun loving kind of clone man, and, and this is where they meet Dudu. And Dudu is a big part of Witcher Three's main story. Um, all you need to know is Dopplers are incredibly rare. Um, Geralt and Dandelion um, encounter this 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 Doppler who's dressed up as a dwarven banker. Also dwarves are the bankers in this world. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, sure. They solve, they go on a, they go on a fun bank heist and solve a mystery and they clear uh, the dwarf's name is that dwarf's name is dainty Bibervelt. Um, and that's uh, a real, which is like, another, that's a real D and D name generator name. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and Vim, and we also get Vim Vivaldi, who is the, the, the guy that you go. Yeah. Vim Vivaldi. Yeah, oh, he's man. the guy. So if you remember Todd in Witcher Three, when you go to the city and you go to the banker, that's yeah, yep. that's Vim Vivaldi. What an incredible uh, Las Vegas magician name! <laughs> oh Vim yeah, Vivaldi. He was last in every line in elementary school, and and he still <laughs> yeah. holds a grudge about it to this day. <laughs> the next story is called A Little Sacrifice. Um, this is another one of my favorite stories in this book. Um, like some of the earlier ones in Last Wish, this is a retelling of The Little Mermaid. Hmm. Um, Except that it's a dickhead prince who hires Geralt to convince a siren to give up her fins and trade it in for human legs so that they can be together. Oh. Perfect. Yep. Um, we also are introduced to another one-off character, Essie Davin, who I think is so is not in the show, is not in the games, but I think they based uh, the the blonde bard off of Essie, who uh, eventually falls in love with Geralt. Um, the blonde this, bard. Which one was that? The in Witcher Three. Oh, yeah. Not the show. The one one who Dandelion ends up with. Sure. Yeah, I think they kind of based her on this character. Um, This story isn't in the series at all. I just think it's a really good read. This one made me cry. It's really good. Um, The Sword of Destiny is is probably our our second most important story here. Um, We see Geralt enter. Geralt is on his way to Brokilon, the home of the Dryads. Now, you will remember Brokilon from episode four of the show, which which we've we've kind of been I've kind of been avoiding talking about series timeline. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the show, there are three distinct timelines. We see we follow Geralt and his story. We follow Yennefer and her story. We follow Ciri and her story, and they all happen intertwined. But halfway through the show, it's revealed that these are different timelines. So ships passing in the night. Hmm. Um, part of series timeline starts with the siege of Sintra, which doesn't actually happen until the end of all these books, until the end of the anthology. And then it follows her in the days after the siege of Sintra. Um, one of the things that Siri does in episode four, while um, the uh, what is it the the end of the or no the question of price is happening or not question of yeah the question yeah. of price is happening. Um, it's uh, Siri enters the the forest of Brokilon, which is the home of the Dryads, and she does shit with the Dryads. That all happens, but before the siege of Sintra. So this is this is the big point of which the show and the books start to diverge. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so we enter Geralt is outside of Brokilon Forest, uh, which is in the Temerian region. Um, he he now he knows the Dryads. The Dryads are just another race, um, very similar to the, what they are in D anD. d They are they speak for the trees. They are the Lorax. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and a weird thing about Geralt again, elves love Geralt because Geralt 
they kind of like Geralt has a name like Gwynebled is White Wolf in Elvish. Mm-hmm. And because Geralt uh, is one of the few people who empathizes with elves, elves and other fake creatures kind of like respect him. Um, so dryads give Geralt safe passage through Brokolon, but normally they will fire, they will fire shots at anyone who comes close. Um, so they're very protective of their forest. Um, side note, fun note. I for Kyle and Todd, I made a D. I made a D and D campaign that I remember years that. ago. That was that was based on Brokolon Forest. Yeah, it felt bad in the end because we did the bad things. We we killed we killed some dryads. I think you I think you raised the entire forest to the ground. Actually, um, I just know it went bad in the end. I, yeah, I felt who, real bad. Who did that? Is that Ben? Uh, Chris like ben. Chris Chris Dela Cruz uh, ignited it into a fireball that blew up the entire forest. Man, right. you guys and your narrow casting, it's so much fun to be part of this group. Yeah, okay, hey, we'll 75% move on. We'll move of this on. podcast just enjoyed that reference. Uh, all right, we'll move on. Um, so Geralt finds a couple bodies, uh, arrows have pierced through these these soldiers, um, and then he finds a soldier from Verden, which is uh, in the... I think in the, what did I say in the Tamaria? It's in the southwest of Tamaria region. So right due north of Sintra. Um, this soldier is like kind of holed up by a tree and is bleeding out. Um, he tells Geralt to find the princess. So Geralt does so. And he goes deeper in the forest because again, <laughs> he has, he has safe passage and no one's going to fire on him. Um, he, he encounters a giant centipede that is like kind of like staring down this, this young girl. Um, this young girl, none other than Siri. So this is the first encounter with Geralt and Ciri. Um, Geralt fights the giant centipede, and uh, Ciri comes along, walks along with Geralt, and Geralt is going to take her to um, the like the leader of the Dryads. Um, Ciri reveals to Geralt that she is Kalant's granddaughter, but Geralt hasn't yet put it together that she is the same child of surprise from the Dunin Pavetta story. Gotcha. Okay. Mm. Now, w- one thing that we don't know yet. Geralt has since been back to Sintra before this Brokelon encounter. We don't know that yet. We're going to learn that in the next story, but just re- keep that in the back of your mind. So he's heard about Siri. He's heard about Pavetta's child, but he thought he thinks at this point... He hasn't put all those pieces together. He yet. hasn't put all the pieces together because he thinks Pavetta's child was a son. He thinks Pavetta had a son. Gotcha. So Siri t- explains that she was sent to Verdun to be engaged to a prince. She's about 10 now, so in the same age she is in the series. Uh, but on the way there, she ran away into the forest and let her entire escort party get killed. Because, Good. Because here's the thing about Siri: She's kind of a brat. She's a huge boner at this point. Um, she's, uh, you mean, know, she's a, a life of privilege. Yeah. She's yeah. a young princess. She's lived a life of privilege. She's never been told no. Her She's been raised by Kalanth, who is is shown in the show kind of crazy. Yeah. So Siri is like kind of a pain in the ass. Um, she's a 10 year old teenager, or almost teenager at this point. Who's just, you know, a tween who'd never been told. No, a tween. Exactly. So you've, it's so it's kind of funny. You've got Geralt who, you know, doesn't ever do, doesn't ever give a shit about people, but especially not kids. Who's with this 10 year old girl. All of a sudden, <laughs> this is basically like any of the latest John Cena comedy like <laughs> feel good children's <laughs> movies right now yeah exactly the pacifier exactly. starring vin diesel yeah um they, so they get into they make it to the center of the forest and they talk to the head of the dryads the head of the dryads doesn't want siri to leave uh she said wants to make her a dryad this is the thing that dryads do is they turn other young girls into dryads um siri drinks from the magical water of brokolon but is unaffected which makes most people forget and just like kind of like 
puts them in a trance and turns them in, helps starts the, the dryad transformation. Um, but nothing happens. So again, this is implying that Siri has something going on. She's got mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, properties that, you know, give her whatever magic plot energy or plot shield. Um, <clears throat> Geralt, again, Geralt's an ally of the dryads. He's able to convince the dryad leader to let Siri go, um, or at least to let her choose if she wants to stay or leave. Now, Siri, again, one other thing we don't know about Siri is Siri knows who Geralt is, but kind of like plays it coy. So Siri knows that she is who Geralt is, and she knows that she is um, the child of surprise. Mm. And she knows that she is destined to become a witcher. Um, so she's kind of playing Geralt a little bit at this point. So she says, I'm going to go with Geralt. Well, does she, does she know that she can't become a witcher? Is that like a thing? Mm-mm. Okay. It's never really, yeah, it's never really sure. like you can't. It's just, it's just kind of... Siri's also like a tomboy and you know she mm-hmm. wants to be one of the boys and whatever so like yeah. she's all she's all in for like a life of swashbuckling adventure. So they exit the forest and enter more verdant soldiers who want to take Siri with them. Um, Siri runs away and climbs a tree while Geralt fights them. Um, Geralt is overpowered uh, until Mousesack, our friend, our druid from Sintra, arrives mm. to uh, help clear out the soldiers. And the three of them take Siri back to Sintra. So a lot of differences from the show. A lot of here. differences. Yeah. This is this is again. This is really where the show starts to branch out. Um, so a lot of this is because of the story that they want to tell about Siri. Um, and and everything Siri at this point related is going to be covered in the next short story. Um, which is very, very fragmented. So a lot of the content that they pulled from series story is actually pulled from Blood of Elves, which is the first of the novel series, which most of that book is told from series perspective. Hmm. So Siri is still kind of like a MacGuffin at this point. So like they did with, with Yennefer, they took a lot of the things that Siri recounts and the, her experiences at the Siege of Sintra, like the Battle of Sodden Hill, the Siege of Sintra is not something that we see. It's not something that Geralt was there for. Geralt, and I will say this again, Geralt was not in Sintra at the siege. So that's a change. Mm-hmm. That was an inherent change that they made. So they, while Ciri does go to Brooklyn, of course, she doesn't go there before this. She doesn't go there after the siege. She goes there before, and that's where they, she meets Geralt. So at the end of episode eight of the series, that is the time that, that is the first Geralt, first time Geralt and Ciri meet. Um, in this in this original story in the in the books they have already met before so there's a little bit of relationship there okay cuz and the 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 thing with the doppler is new to the show too right mousesack is not correct cuz yeah. it's not mousesack in the show it's a doppler yeah that the doppler thing is that was all that's all new um the doppler is in that other story right. but has nothing to do with yeah the series escape um all right, so let's we're gonna end sort of destiny with the last story, which is called Something More. And something more, much like episode eight of the series, something more is designed to fill in a lot of the exposition gaps. So this is the first real attempt at branching the overarch like the indi- the isolated stories to a larger narrative. Gotcha. And and again, I don't know if that was always the intention, or maybe this was written afterward. I'm not entirely sure. I'd be interested to find that out. Uh, but regardless, the story starts just like it does in episode eight. The story starts with Geralt uh, approaching a merchant, a merchant very late at night, um, trying to carry. In this in this version, he's trying to carry a, he's trying to carry a very heavy cart through like rough ter- rough ground. Um, I think in the show, he's like um, they tried to tie in the siege of Sintra, so he's mm. like 
It's like cleaning up bodies. Collecting dead bodies, bodies or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Now, the, the timeline is still like the Siege of Sintra is happening, but Geralt just doesn't know about it. We as the audience watching the series know about it, so they, ha- they try to tie that in. Um, regardless, uh, the Geralt warns the merchant to leave. Uh, he, sh- he says he should just abandon his cart. The merchant says he can't. This is like a year's worth of, of pay here. Um, so monsters appear and Geralt's fight- Geralt fights them off, protects the merchant, but he's severely wounded in the process. So the merchant asks Geralt what he can offer in turn and he <laughs> invokes the law of surprise. <laughs> Again, as a joke. Um, Geralt likes to be ironic or whatever. Um <laughs> So the merchant puts Geralt in his cart and heads off to find medical help. Um, so much like if you guys remember from the last wish that when Geralt was injured and taken to the temple of Melitel, um, this, this last story here is another kind of hand wavy framing device to give uh, a bunch of backstory in the form of dreams and hallucinations. Gotcha. So it's really, it's really cool, but it's also really confusing Got it. and very incredibly vague. And boy, do we love hand wavy story storytelling devices here at debate. This. Exactly. <laughs> We're big fans of it. So we get a series of dreams and hallucinations in the form of flashbacks to Geralt's time in Sintra first. Um, so apparently we find out that Geralt did go to check on Pavetta's child a few years ago when Siri would have been six. She's 10 now. Mm-hmm. So this was about four years ago. Um, Kalanth hid her from Geralt, um, and, uh, which is why Geralt thought that Pavetta had a son. Uh, Malsak was there and was like, oh, yeah, he's over there. And there was like a bunch of boys playing in the streets, and Geralt's like, fine. Now, know that, note that Geralt ha- never had any intention of actually like cashing in this favor. Yeah. He honestly went to, to uh, Sintra just to check in to be like, hey, is this child even existing is are they okay are they being taken care of whatever like he felt some level of responsibility but very vaguely if, and if i'm understanding it in the show yeah. right he he stops in to yeah basically what you said like i am technically responsible for this child i am here to make sure you're not doing anything that would put my responsibility right. at risk but other than that Yes. I don't care kind of thing. Like, yes. But the, and the major difference there, like the intention is the same, Kyle. The major difference is in the book, this was four years before right. the Siege of Sintra. Right. In the series, he's there minutes before. Right, 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 right. Gotcha. And, and that's the big episode eight reveal is that you, we see the opening of episode one is the Siege of Sintra. The middle of episode eight, we find that Geralt was there the whole time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't watched um, it yet. So this is all... Uh, Gotcha. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah. under, I understood the risk you, you knew, coming in. You knew what you were getting yeah. into. Maybe a little late um, for a spoiler warning, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Put one at the beginning. Uh, we'll recut that. If you're still listening and haven't watched all the series, then I just commend you for your, your candor. Um, so we also find out that Pavetta and Dooney were killed at sea. Um, so Kalanth raids Siri as her own. Um, and then that's when Geralt says he never had any intention of actually taking their child from them um, because he strictly, he specifically does not believe in destiny. Um, they then talk, and, so, and, and Kalanth kind of respects Geralt. Like a lot of people, people fear Geralt, but also respect Geralt. And, and a lot of people end up liking him when they get to talk to him. So we, we kind of see this really interesting relationship between Queen Kalanth and Geralt. They kind of are of the same mind, but they're, you know, both very different people who are trying to protect what's theirs, yada, yada, yada. Um, but they start talking about how Geralt became a witcher, and Kalant surmises that it was also the law of surprise, and, and is like, well, that's probably why Geralt doesn't like this, because he was taken from his home and turned into a monster. Yeah. 
so then again, framing device, uh, Geralt in his hallucinations then dreams of his mother who is revealed to have also been a sorceress that gave him up to the witchers. And we get a little bit of a, a inner monologue. Geralt's like, he's Geralt has thought a lot about what he would say to his mother would probably be something like ask her why, and then say something snide just to, you know, again, like the old, like, why did you leave? Whatever. There's some feelings of abandonment there. So there's like some mommy issues going on with him and Yennefer then. Like there's a whole oh, yeah. mommy yeah. issues there, thing. Is, is... There's a reason why there's a reason why he goes after sorceresses. Mm. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not coincidental. Um he's woken up from his dream of his mother uh by being treated by a sorceress healer who by no surprise, is revealed to be his mother. Oh. <laughs> so it's very conveniently like, he's like, I wonder if I'll ever see her again. He wakes up and there she is. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but again, they're trying to like kind of wrap a bow around Geralt as a character. So they have this like really interesting story where like Geralt kind of accepts it and she was like, you know, I, I couldn't take care of you. So this seemed like to be the best option. He's like, yeah, well, that was kind of shitty, but yeah. you saved my life. So I guess we're cool. Um, so more more dreams. Um, Geralt is now visiting a monument for the Battle of Sodden Hill, and I should note that the merchant is taking them into the town of Sodden. So we haven't heard again. This is the first we've ever heard about a battle, um, but it's kind of a flashback. Yeah, flashback of Geralt looking at this monument and looking at the names of all the pe- the mages who died there. And there's like, you see his inner monologue and he's kind of like, please don't be her. Please don't be her. And he's like holding his breath. He's like hoping to, because at this point he hasn't seen Yennefer in years. Mm. And he's hoping that Yennefer isn't on that list of names. And he breathes a sigh of relief uh, when she isn't. You know what name is on there? The last name, Triss Marigold. Ooh. Ah. And that is the first mention of Triss Marigold in the entire series. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, at least as far as the books are concerned. Um, so that's that's interesting. I thought that was pretty cool when I read that. And that's that what refers to the 14th of, of Sodden Hill refers to. Oh. Um, hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, we go back, we flash back to Geralt, or flash forward. Geralt is still traveling with the merchant. Um, the merchant offers up one of his sons to be a witcher. You threw the law of surprise, and Geralt's like, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're good. Um, one last dream. Uh, Geralt encountering a mass commotion on the other side of the river. Um, this is the Pontar. The Pontar is a, a, a big strategic location. It's kind of the way the, the river that divides the northern kingdoms from the southern mm. territories. Um, he this is a this is revealed to be another flashback. Um, he finds hey dandelions here. Dandelions yeah. there, everybody. Yay. Surprise everyone. Um, and then Dandelion, our exposition and Lorehound explains that Nilfgaard attacks Sintra and says that Calanthins, likely Siri, are, are all dead. Um, Geralt is saddened because he's too late. So Ger- so in this flashback, it's it's a little unconfirmed. It's a little unclear. In this flashback, we're implying it's implied that Geralt was heading back to K- Sintra, but was but saw the saw all the devastation and realized he was too late. And he was head and he was in Sodden. He went back to check on the monument in Sodden Hill. So he's trying to like catch up with Siri, trying to catch up with Yennefer, and he's like all distraught because the people he loves the most are now like or he cares for the most are all disappearing except for Nandelion. And uh so like that's kind of how we get to where we are right now, which is him on a cart going back to a merchant's house in Sodden. Does that track? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah makes, sure. I mean that makes sense. Okay. 
So at this point, the Siege of Sintra has happened. The Battle for Sodden Hill has happened. We don't see either of those two things. We just hear about it in flashbacks. And we end something else with Geralt and the merchant arriving at the merchant's house, where it's revealed that Ciri had been staying for the last two days. And she like runs out and gives him a big old hug. And they're like, we, yay, everything is okay. <laughs> and she says something about, I am your destiny. And he says, you're something more than that. And that's like Geralt accepting his destiny, but but also in reality, he's accepting fatherhood. Huh. Aw. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that that kind of um, reunion happens in the show, but this is basically episodes seven and eight. They try to cover the events in these dreams in much greater detail. Of course, we already talked about the we've talked about the Battle of Sodden Hill. We talked about the Sea of Sintra at this Siege of Sintra at this point. These are things that Geralt didn't see that we're seeing through those other characters' eyes, which is really cool. Which is a great a great device for the show. Um, and then the Geralt stuff is is obviously different in that he was one never in Sintra during the siege, and two he met Ciri before and broke along, so she immediately knew him. They kind of did this like. I knew who you were. Like I knew who you were the minute like oh. they felt each other's presence in the show, which is like, whatever, it's fine. Sure. Um, but when they, they meet, when they finally do meet, it still feels impactful. And that is the end of sort of destiny. Woo. Cool. Woo. Yeah. That, um, I did not realize that like the eight episodes lined up so well with the starting books. Like, yeah, they really do. I like, I, Truly did not get that. Like, I was I was not was expecting almost... so many episodes to be like I yeah I'm shocked at how close to the chest they played it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm so impressed on, with how they did it and the liberties that they took make sense. Yeah, yeah, and and weave together a more like cohesive narrative. And I wouldn't be. I mean, it, this, this is this is the canon now. Like this is mm-hmm. this is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's 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 really cool what they've done. Um. So I think this is a good place to stop because it's uh, we're almost we're gonna hit pretty we're gonna hit the three hour mark here soon. Sure we are. But um, I wanted to end the conversation with a, just a little open discussion about the show. Again, knowing that all four of us have seen it, um, I wanted to just do a quick like, what other did you guys have any other outlying questions? I know like the show was pretty good but not perfect at telling that cohesive story. So I know there's probably a lot of questions that people have and things that like. Oh, I didn't really understand what this person was doing or that person. So I'll open the floor. Most of my issues with the show just come from like the the issues I have with anything that it leans very heavily into that like old English like names and places thing yeah. where it's just like it's gonna take me at least another rewatch before I know yeah. exactly where everything was and who everyone is. Cause yeah. um it, it just, it runs, I run into that thing a lot where, like, a lot of people look the same. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm catching about half of the names that fly by me, and it just is like, cool. I'm going to get it again on pass number two. So that's where yeah. I'm at. Um, and it doesn't help that there are a lot of unimportant people yes. that yes. come and go. Yeah. I would super agree with what Kyle said. I think that was my... My biggest criticism was even having, you know, a surface level awareness of what was going on. Um, as you kind of retold some of these stories, I was like, oh, yeah, that did kind of happen. But I didn't really fully focus on everything that was happening and I need to rewatch it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Plus, once you kind of see all the timelines converge and make sense, I think it probably will help to rewatch it and be able to really place where things are happening. Because 
at least for me, I didn't right away figure out that they were three different timelines. And then, you know, I don't know how many episodes in, I was like, oh, okay, these aren't all happening at the same time. They try to subtly hint at it in the middle of episode four. It's the one where, mm-hmm. um, because they've, they've introduced full test as, or maybe episode three, they introduced full test mm-hmm. as the guy who hires, which who hires Geralt as an old King yes. to slay the, sh- to to find the Striga. And then they, in a separate scene in Eratusa, they show a, a queen with her two children and says, full test, stop. Yeah. And full test uh, is a young child. And that, and they're trying, that was them trying to subtly hint that Geralt and Yennefer are on separate timelines. They, they drop hints while at the same time, I think purposefully obscure. Like yeah. they definitely, definitely intentional. They definitely want you to like reach that last episode and have it all merge in your brain. Just like, explodes yeah. but they also yeah. drop those hints for the rewatch um andrew yeah quick question right before we ended up taking a bathroom break you said that you wanted to go a little bit more into the backstory of yennefer and you never really did do you have any quick nuggets that you want to drop on that because that is like such a major difference between the show and the yeah. books that that was actually i did a little bit I, that was the uh the surgery the uterus removing surgery sure. that she, that's that's what i was implying gotcha. um but that was that was the big thing one last thing i do want to talk about is nilfgaard really quick and the difference between how nilfgaard is portrayed in the the series and nilfgaard in the books um so in the series nilfgaard i mean it's clear that nilfgaard's the big bad like there's no question there nilfgaard is the big bad empire who's taken over all the land duh get it um i thought it was an interesting turn where nilfgaard was shown as almost religious zealots and specifically through the eyes of one Frangilla Vigo and two Kahir, Kahir, Kahir. I think it's Kahir. Um, you don't ever say these names out loud. You just read them. <laughs> um, ni- neither of those characters are ever mentioned in the stories. They're, they're mentioned first. Kahir is mentioned in the beginning of book one. And Frangilla isn't even brought until like after like the second half of the series. And it was interesting that both of them played such a big part in the kind of like the original, what is considered the first Northern War, quote unquote. And and I didn't, so I, it's interesting how Nilfgaard is portrayed because I don't love to think that Nilfgaard is like a bunch of religious zealots because really they are just an empire. They're just imperialists. Like they're, they're, they're not inherently evil. They're, they're brutal and they are, you know, like pretty, like pretty like, cutthroat warlords but they're not evil religious zealots it's just manifest so that'll be they're just trying to get from yeah it's manifest i wonder if that is i wonder if that's trying to make the connection to the ottoman empire which would eventually become you know all these middle eastern countries right now yeah i think if they're just trying to make that a little more obvious to yeah, Us? because the the original Nilfgaard Empire acts more like the Roman Empire. Yeah, where like when the brief glimpses that we get into Nilfgaard in the books are like they call the Northerners savages, and they're like we're 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 uh, teaching them or we're we're saving gotcha. them, right? Like sure. it's like, and they're actually like Nilfgaard is revealed to be super rich and wealthy. Which um, the I mean the Ottoman Empire was. Yeah, it yeah, was a very exactly wealthy, successful um, empire that we exactly not we but. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Uh, and the other thing is how they portrayed Kahir. Um, you might be surprised to know that Kahir is not the villain of this story. Weird. I'm definitely surprised to know that as someone who has only watched the TV show. 
<laughs> not only is Kahir not the villain, um, Kahir is actually one of the main companion, companions, party members that accompanies Geralt through most of the books. Oh, interesting. Didn't see that coming. Yes. Um, so I mentioned that Ciri had this... Re- um, there, well, in the beginning of The Blood of, of Elves, we start to see things from Ciri's perspective, and she, the, she begins The Blood of Elves with the Siege of Sintra. So again, um, we should talk about it because it's in episode one and eight, but Ciri doesn't have a lot of memories from the siege because she's tra- traumatized, Avi. Um, but what she does remember is a black, a soldier in black with a winged helmet carrying her away. That soldier is later to be revealed as Kahir, who... We, who's later, like as a th- as a third act reveal, um, re- uh, kind of says that, or we or we learn that he was actually rescuing Siri. So he defected from Nilfgaard and um, uh. empathized with her. And the reason why Siri is the sole survivor of the siege of Sintra is basically because of Kahir. Weird. Huh. Interesting. Yep. And and that is so different than how they're portraying him in the series. They're kind of making Kahir almost the manifest destiny, listen to the prophecy guy that Emir, uh, Emperor Emir is. Because that that personality of like, you are the one who's destined to lead us all, that's Emperor Emir. So I'm wondering how they're going to weave in Kahir to the, to the Emperor of... Um, Nilfgaard. I think that'll be interesting. And then the other is, um, I mentioned the the wizard Vilgefortz earlier. Um, Vilgefortz in the series is portrayed to be this kind of like upstart, young um, prodigy sorcerer who, you know, is like a, he was like a, like a guard and then turned into a mage or whatever. And he fights in the battle for Sodden Hill and he's kind of leading the, the ragam, the, the, you know, he's leading the, the revolution or whatever. Um, Vilgefortz is the main villain of this story. He oh. is, he, he is, he is, he is actually the big bad. Huh. Um, Vilgef- and, and, and we might just, it might just be super early and they haven't gotten there yet. But Spoilers Vilgefortz, for season two of the Witcher, which has Vil- not aired Vilgefortz, yet. Oh, yeah. Vilgefortz is, is the puppet master behind many of the things that happen in, um, many of the major events that happen in the series. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Vilgefortz. And that is where we'll end today's discussion. I think we'll, we'll probably come back likely doing this in two more parts. I think there's, there's an episode talking about the Geralt and Ciri saga, which is Blood of Elves through Lady of the Lake, the five books. And then I think it makes sense to talk, maybe we talk about the games and maybe, uh, you know, we talk about the DLC stories and by that time we'll probably have all played the game. So it'd be more just like sharing experiences or whatever, but I definitely want to keep doing this. Um, Maybe we'll make this, you know, premium content or something uh, here later in the year. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Once we get a release date for season two, you'll hear from us again. (laughs) That's right. So, uh, so guys, final thoughts on the Witcher. Um, yeah. Listening to this and watching it, Makes me want to play it again. Um, it gives me a reason to pick back up my <laughs> Xbox One that I. <laughs> well, it makes me. It gives me a reason to fire back up my Xbox One that isn't the Jackbox Party Packs. Yeah, <laughs> I um I liked it way more than I thought I would. I honestly went in not really expecting to love the show because um, I hadn't read the books or played the games, and I tend not to like high fantasy or medieval like set dramas. It's just mm. not my my personal choice in. Um, entertainment, but I really, really liked it. I got really hooked, and I am probably going to play The Witcher 3, which is a, a big step for a not-RPG fan, so probably going to well, play that and game. And I would tell yeah. you, 
I would tell you, Matt, aside from some grindy parts, because there's definitely some of that, um, the once you like get a hang of the fighting system and you've made some levels and gotten some decent gear, it is a ton of fun. Yeah. Like getting circled by a bunch of like warriors and just dispatching them is so much fun. Yeah. And and not to mention just the storytelling is A plus. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. good. Yeah, cool. I, I went in to the show cold. I knew nothing. I know a little more now. And I'm like Matt, I finished the show or um, didn't finish the show. I watched the first few episodes at Andrews while I was home while I was in town for Christmas. And I left thinking I will buy The Witcher. Um, and I did, and I've now played the tutorial and have had time to do nothing else because my life is tiresome. Well, thank you guys. Um, I think we'll, we'll call it there. Um, thank you all everyone for listening to yet another one of these massive, massive flavor texts. Um, we appreciate you all letting us toss a proverbial coin into your proverbial. Hey, there it is. Ah, um, and, and thanks most of all for listening in uh, and joining us as we, uh, as we kick off season three of 2020. Um, follow along with the arguments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at DebateThisCast. And you can check out our website at DebateThisCast.com. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people can hear uh, this ridiculous, ridiculous shit. Um, we will be back next week to he looks up the schedule we will be back next week to talk about gaming mascots yeah with friends with friends friends. that's right uh, David Flam from Left Trigger Right Trigger uh, our buddy who we did that goofball uh, full metal bazinga thing with um, (laughs) is going to be back to talk about uh, failed platforming mascots from the 90s having not been part of that I'm thrilled to not be part of that continued energy we're gonna do a little uh, guest quest while Todd Todd is out on for a couple weeks on vacation. Todd, so. you're uh, you're going to Mordor, right? <laughs> Man, it, the number of people in my life that when I tell them I'm going to New Zealand, immediately ask if I'm gonna go walk the Lord of the Rings trail, and I have to say, I have to say no. I'm going for a family wedding, like a normal adult. I, I like the idea that that's the only thing in New Zealand. The, the only, only reason you would yeah, go there. That's it. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Um, Until next time, I am Andrew Henderson. I am Matt. This has been a three-hour sponsored ad for the word titular, Cole. (laughs) I am Todd Bloodseeker, hardly knower. That's a monster from The Witcher. (laughs) Thomas. Um, And I am Kyle. It's been too long a day to come up with a a middle name, Harper. (laughs) And we're saying in a very exhausted tone, Thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds. Awesome. Good job, everyone. 